0: This is this, this is a tape deck podcast.
1: Hey everybody, it's H and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, where we talk to our friends about the movies we love. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason.
2: I found a night elf druid brother. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened on this pod.
1: And by the breakout star of Jason Momoa's C and HBO Max's Banshee, Warrior, and DMZ, Hoon Lee. I,
3: I wondered how much of that was a stylistic choice versus, um, like, people need to, <laughs> we need people to get this.
1: It's all been leading to this, the greatest action science fiction film of all time the matrix if you're enjoying the show we need your help take a minute to leave us a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show we also have a discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want a link is in the show notes and now without further ado, the matrix
3: now i don't think you guys know what you're in for let's do it (laughs) it's gonna be rough
1: Live producing from Hoon, I am down. I'm down for it. <laughs> so, so I guess my first question is, um, you know, Succession is back. So, And you're the first actor we've ever had on the podcast. So we need you to weigh in on the Jeremy Strong method acting mm. um, approach and or describe to us your process that you use when, when you're acting.
3: Um, I don't know, Jeremy, and everybody's process is super specific to them. Um, mm. And I don't like to cast judgment on that. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I will say. Um, what I love about working in television specifically is that it is, um, you know, you're part of a company, you know, you're part mm. of a, a group of people and you're collaborating frequently, um, like all the time with a large number of people. And so mm. the rules that apply for me are the same rules that would apply for any work environment where you're trying to, um, you know, you're trying to find that balance between being able to work in your own way, in the way that maximizes your creativity and your energy and your flow, but be respectful of other people doing that as well. So mm, mm. I always feel like uh, movies feel a little different because they tend to be more discreet, right? Um, and they they really are one and done often, unless you're part of some cinematic universe <laughs> where they're going to make something. <laughs> right. Right but i think if you're on a television show and you're going to be working with the same people for you know 5 6 months multiple years yeah you're really looking at trying to cultivate some sort of a long-term relationship and i think that that means you everyone has to ideally bend a little bit with some sensitivity there so i'm i'm not a big proponent of method acting yeah and um, i just think it's unsustainable for a lot of people i yeah. think there are some people where it's it's exactly how they like to work and it it really clicks for them more power to them. Um, I think they are the exception to the rule.
4: Yeah.
1: Greg, Greg, uh, when he was on the pod, he described liking people who were uh, playful and ready to work, and that, that being uh, the right combo so that um, you could get that engagement.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think Greg was a, you know, working with Greg on Banshee was an incredible boot camp in, in many ways. We just had, we didn't have that many resources, you know, so that that adds up uh, materializing as, um, you know, not so many takes, needing to move kind of quickly, mm-hmm. um, but I think that really forced everyone to do their homework, for one thing. You know, you came mm-hmm. you came on the day ready to go, mm-hmm. um, which is Greg's, you know, <laughs> Greg's preferred method anyway, but it's also my preferred method. I don't like to, I don't think anybody's served by wasting a lot of time.
1: Yeah. Well, Jason, you you should know that Jason is is in method acting for the podcast. Oh yeah, um,
2: I, like- I, I'm 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 actually I'm actually not interested in science fiction or Dune at all. I've been methoding <laughs> I've been methoding my interest in Dune for three years. Now. You can't uh, take it. He goes home and it's just yeah. Like, I don't even know. I've lost myself. He's uh, weeping
3: into a bowl of porridge. Just
2: the quantum mechanics. Yeah, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Did it feel, did it feel a lot different when you got to see in season two in terms of the resources involved? Like, did it feel like a a different, a different scale of production than when you were doing Banshee? Um, I mean,
3: honestly, not that much in in the sense that the work process itself didn't, didn't feel that different in the day to day. But some of that is a function of, I think the type of role I'm doing, you know, if that, you know, my character was involved in sort of one big battle scene and those, right. that's where I felt it because yeah. that's the sort of thing where we would, I mean, typically we might try to grab all of that in a day, right? It wow. was multiple days, right. you know, hundreds of people. And this was during COVID so like only yeah. small pockets of people could operate at a time. Right. But, um, there's this, hilarious, <laughs> one of my, one of my most, the most challenging things on that show, uh, when my character, and this is a bit of a spoiler for people who haven't seen it, but when my character dies, there's a scene where <laughs> he's um lying on the canyon floor with uh with a kofun archie, yeah, character, and there are a bunch of soldiers running past, so it's, a, it's sort of a low angle, and there are these you know boots running past, and mm. as they carry on to the battle, and that's like two dudes who are running around the camera <laughs> <laughs> in a circle, and uh. Oh my gosh, it was so hard to not break. I was just, yeah. I'm pretending <laughs> to be blind, but I'm, they're right in front yeah, of me. I love that. That's <laughs> so oh my great. god! And I'm just like, I'm kind of dying on the inside. Um, and I'm like, I can't, <laughs> if I start laughing now, I'll never do this scene. Like, it'll be irrecoverable. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to hold on.
2: As, as people who are not in the industry, as we've spent more time, like, talking to people who are and, like, diving into some of these things, one of the things that I come back to the most is just the miracle of the finished product in some of these things, because yeah. I it, like to me, if I were there, I would be like, "This, come on, what are we doing with the what <laughs> right. are we doing with the four feet? Like, this is never gonna, <laughs> this is just not gonna work." Yeah. You know, uh, do you have a sense at this point, like that, like okay, like this is gonna work, or is it like a, a leap of faith? Like that, you just Mm. believe in the people you're working with. Like, have you you've developed like a sense like, oh, this is this is all going to come together after the fact, or you know,
3: you know what it is? It's uh, it always started as a leap of faith because um, I just I had no idea what was going on. You know, when I got into TV, it was I all of my experience to that point had been theater, and right, I always felt very comfortable in theater. I always felt like I knew what was going on, Um, Mm. and uh, that was just an instinctive thing right away. I've, I've always felt very comfortable on stage, but I did not feel that when I got in front of a camera and it felt very foreign. And mm-hmm. uh, and I had no reference. I had no reference for what the camera was seeing. And so like one thing I did, for example, was um, I talked to the camera operators and I, I learned a little bit about the cameras we were using and mm-hmm. sort of what their sensor format was. And then I went out and I got a camera with um, similar size lenses to the ones we were using. And I just started... Looking through them to sort of try to understand how they're seeing the world through the camera so that I would understand better sort of how to anticipate something. Um, So knowing at like roughly five and a half feet, if they have, you know, a 28 millimeter lens on a, you know, 35, super 35 size sensor, what I can expect they're looking at. And then, you know, and I would check in with them kind of like, you know, you're getting roughly this. Right. And that helped me sort of accelerate my ability to adjust performance or more importantly, to feel comfortable that uh, that I kind of knew what was going on or that I would have to anticipate certain problems. You know, Mm. sometimes you're in this very unnatural situation where because of the size of the lens, you might have to hold a prop (laughs) very
4: close to your face, like unnaturally close to your
3: face. To make sure it's in frame, things like that. <laughs> ah! um, and so you can start to anticipate some of those things and and uh, you know try to build that into your performance ahead of time so that you're not- um... Thrown off in the moment. Yeah, and so also yeah. you can kind of concentrate on trying to find the thing that's yep. important in the scene between you and your scene partner, for example.
1: I think it's safe to say most actors probably don't go out and get a camera and and do that that level of research this is a pretty meticulous uh level of
3: preparation i mean i i that's something i'm personally interested in so i I didn't feel like a chore and Mm -hmm. um, also i've always felt a little bit like um, i felt like i came to acting a little bit later in life and so I've, i've always felt like i'm playing catch up a bit and um so i'm I usually am trying to think of ways to accelerate my development in that way, because, mm. it's, you know, it's just there's so much to learn. But to, to speak to your question a bit more, I think, therefore, I always had a lot of trust because I had to. And mm-hmm. that's carried over. Um, and that's, that's a real pleasure of the job, I think, is to feel like you're part of a good team mm-hmm. um, and trusting that they are doing the job they need to do.
1: Yeah. Also, having Tropper like design a character specifically for you to get you into it, like that's <laughs> that's got to be a nice level of of uh, of welcoming coming in.
3: Yeah, you know. Although, as time increase like time goes on, and um, you know, our, our friendship has really you know grown, which I'm incredibly thankful for. But it also carries with it more of a sense of obligation and sense of right, um, mm-hmm. not obligation, sense of responsibility. Right. And you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know I don't think imposter syndrome really ever leaves... A person totally mm-hmm. kind of and so the stakes get higher where you're like well one day he's invariably going to find out what a terrible <laughs> right yep. and then not only am I going to lose an employer I'm gonna lose <laughs> right. a good friend <laughs> right like you'll everything will shatter and it'll be it'll be the end of a dream but yeah
1: it's interesting now because so uh after the two of you work together on mm-hmm. banshee and then on C you're also working together on warrior which is mm-hmm. now in its third season um coming up and Jonathan is now not show running but mm-hmm. you are still on the show and actually in season 3 have joined the writers room so what was that like to go oh, from yeah. from just acting to to writing
3: I mean I don't think I would have had the opportunity um if I didn't have the support of you know not just Jonathan but um Evan and Josh our mm-hmm. current show runners mm-hmm. are current showrunners who who have been with us since the beginning um Brad Kane who was in our first two seasons as well um, as one of our co-executive producers he They are just very focused on creating the best possible product. There's not uh, a lot of ego involved. There's not a lot of um, politics involved. There's a huge amount of openness. And I really wanted to write for Warrior specifically. Just the subject matter um, spoke to me so so directly. Mm -hmm. And also because I had grown very, very close with all of the cast and... You know, we were all in a bubble together in Cape Town. We we really had to lean on each other hmm. because we only had each other. You know, and we were working so hard. It's not like you can go out and just like find a million friends that are local. You're 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 really kind of um, you're really kind of tethered to each other. And fortunately, it worked out for us. It's an incredibly close cast um, in the entire time that I've been working on it, even through the the period when we were officially canceled and went through COVID, I think mm-hmm. I, right. I spoke to someone from the production almost every day. Wow. Um, which is like a three year span. Um, wow. That's very atypical, I think.
1: It's incredible that getting you back together and uh, yeah. you know for, for this additional season, Jonathan was describing rebuilding everything. Um, so you talked about, it. so for folks that don't know, it's set in the 1870s, late mm-hmm. turn of the century in San Francisco, and it is about warring Chinese gangs and then also you know, the racist government and police force um, and all of the power dynamics in there. So I'm curious just to hear from you what it means to you relative to representation in terms of storytelling uh, to have that, and then also what opportunities you saw as you were growing up of representation that really, that really stuck out to you?
3: Um, I mean, to start with the first part, it's, I mean, remember having this conversation with someone, um, you know, there's a period where you kind of look at a TV show, if you, if you chose any TV show in particular, and then you had, um, let's say you had, you'll, you'll tip, you may find like one person of Asian descent in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find two, it's, it's kind of unusual. Right. If you find three, suddenly mm-hmm. it's an Asian show, <laughs> right, right? Right, right. You know what I mean? Like that becomes its category, right. even if that was never the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have a show where the majority of the cast is Asian, where the, the primary lens for narrative is, is through the Asian viewpoint, or the specifically the Asian American viewpoint too, yeah. right? um, which I do think is quite distinct. Uh, I feel like in some ways it's, it's sort of unprecedented in this genre. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. And that, that to me is uh, hugely helpful because you, – uh, you, have you heard of this phenomenon like the um, – I think it's called – I might get this wrong. The mere familiarity con- phenomenon. It's uh-uh. basically this idea that your comfort level grows with your exposure to something, right? Mm-hmm. So, right, right. And there, there are two ways where it tends to operate, one of which is in the case of novelty – it operates when you see someone do something that you previously thought was unattainable or unachievable, suddenly mm. it can happen. And now you see all these people do it, mm. you know? Like it used to be the thing that, um, you know, you couldn't dunk from the free throw line. And now like all these people can do it, right? Like it, the, the <laughs> level of achievement just goes up. Um, but the other way that it works is the, the more you see something, the more comfortable you get with that idea. Right. And this is right. the way, this is the reason why representation is so important. Mm. Is because as a as a group of people that are often seen as um, external or other to the mainstream, that just continues the more we're not seen. Mm. Uh, however, the opposite happens: the more you are seen, uh, occupying roles that would traditionally go to potentially other ethnicities or other other racial groups, the more that becomes commonplace, and the more yeah you, you just accept that, and you can lose yourself in the story. And I think that's one of the ways that that's beautiful uh, yeah. yeah, narrative really can help society in general. It's a, it's a comfort level, you know, it doesn't take yeah. away all of the prejudices, it, but it just might help. It might help dull down the, the sort of edges that uh, clash up against each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is like that. I think that's like the real, like kind of inarguable silver lining of the like streaming era where there's so much content can you possibly keep up with it it's like yes that's true but there's like more surface area for stories now uh and, and, like, and you creators know, and like the demands of capitalism are what they are and like you know like there's always going to be like the, we're just going to create this franchise mm-hmm. because this is you know we know this works but like there there is ostensibly more surface area and like more more opportunities than there have been before yeah i
3: mean we're going to run up into a completely different problem which is just the the Paralysis by analysis, problem, yes. right? Where we're just yeah. like, I don't want to watch anything because I can't yeah, decide yeah. what to watch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, every conversation I used to have in New York when I lived there was like, what are we going to have for dinner?
2: Right. Because right. Because we so can much. have anything. Right, right. Exactly. You know? until
3: you end up with three restaurants that you just keep revolving yeah. around, you
2: know? I've got a whole drawer of takeout menus. I don't even exactly. know. Like, I don't know. Yeah,
3: about I don't them, know. want to think about it. I don't know. Yeah. About it.
1: We're we're lucky because Jason and I both have young kids, and so like mm-hmm. we watch one movie a week. One uh, movie a week. Sometimes yeah. two if we have two episodes. We watched The Matrix and Demolition Man this week. I, oh,
2: I watched wow. uh, I watched The Matrix and 1980s The Care Bear movie uh, <laughs> uh, for the 17th time, in which Carol King sings a very haunting title song that may be coming from a hell dimension.
0: <laughs> on a cloud, you care not, it's a
2: That's quite uh, a pairing. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's a, a it's, it's really, it's really something. And yeah. So, you know, my tastes are varied. Uh, yeah. I, I get to enjoy the smorgasbord of content. That's your well. challenge
3: for your next podcast. Make those two work together.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Well, Hoon, we are so excited to have you Very join grateful us here. to have you
3: here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and so we threw out, uh, you know, for you to take a look at the set list, and man, we had some pretty exciting uh, options on the table. <laughs> yeah. Both Superman, nineteen seventy eight, mm. as well as the Four Musketeers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, by the Salkines, right? Uh, yep, and So, w- yep. so, so those are still hanging out there uh,
3: yep.
1: for for folks <laughs> to know. Four Musketeers, I hadn't thought about in thirty years. That's a uh, critical.
3: That's a good one, though. That's a good one. Yeah. Love Mus- that the, one. the three and the four Musketeers.
1: All oh yeah, yeah. Three and three four. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Films at right.
3: the same time.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and directed by uh, Superman 3's uh Lester. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lester. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I think
3: Donner <laughs> came into that project at the same time, which is partially what led to Superman the firing. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Superman one and two were also shot at the same time. Like they yeah. were clearly working a system.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cocaine and taxes. The, the drama of this early <laughs> DC has a curse. I think we just need to, I think we just need to <laughs> accept. That there's, there's a witch out there that has, like, put a whammy on them for 50 years, and they need to figure out, like, sort of where that witch is and what she and what she wants.
1: Well, uh, well, we'll, we'll send our thoughts and <laughs> prayers for, for Warner Brothers. Good, yeah. best best of luck to you guys. Um, just focus on Dune.
2: Dune is, you know. It's, it's going to be great. great, yeah. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater.
1: All right, so Hoon, your
2: choice though was yes. The Matrix. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. What? Probably aside from Dune, the most important movie we will ever cover on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it is essentially the Dune of like the late 90s. That's like, a hell
3: of a thing to say to me, Jason. Jason yeah, I'm exactly. No pressure. No pressure.
2: <laughs> so we
1: are going to get to the matrix uh in just a few minutes. Quickly, just a couple of things. First of all, next week on Dune Pod, Jason. Slim is coming back. Oh my God. I didn't it, know he was allowed on again. This is this is the return. He's the right. podcasting, uh producing and host legend of the Letterbox Show and 70 millimeter, mm-hmm. and also our emergency watch talk episode.
2: Yes, he's a he's a good friend. We'll be here when one of us is sick, and it, he's a substitute <laughs> teacher. <laughs> <laughs> So for our
1: episode with Slim, we are doing one of my favorite 1970s science fiction movies,
2: the brutal gladiatorial classic starring James Caan, Rollerball. This has been on the list for a very long time. <laughs> I think like I think like Rollerball and Solar Babies are like two <laughs> key key conveyance based movies <laughs> that we are we are bound to talk about on this show. So I'm excited we're getting to one of them.
1: That sounds right.
2: Uh, so looking forward to that.
1: That will be next week.
2: Mm. Um, let's just do some quick Dune news. Would you like to know more?
1: So this is going to be our fastest pass through here. First of all, Tina Guo and Hans were oh, the yes, studio. Oh, yes, the recording. So, um, the cello's back. The cello that sounds like Hendrix,
2: um, yes, and, and is going to be amazing. So it's great to see that
1: the score is all coming
2: together. Good. We had no doubts in Hans. Like he was gonna, mm. he's gonna be fine. There, you couldn't keep him away. He's f- filming TikToks with his shirt off in like a Berlin <laughs> hotel suite, and like you know, just doing wild stuff. On, he has one of the most interesting <laughs> online presences of a man his age, and I respect ha. him for it. Um look, yeah. looking forward to hearing from you, Hans.
1: Can't wait, and I love the idea. Denny has been very specific that that part two is really it's just two parts of one movie. Um, yes. and so having as much consistency as possible with all of the production components um, are really great. Mm-hmm. Second piece is Dune adjacent. Uh, Dune's screenwriter John Spates is oh, writing yeah. Gears of War for Netflix. Yeah, for so, Netflix. Yeah. So Hoon, have you played Gears of War? Uh, what's your console and, and just your favorite game?
3: I, I I'm not a huge gamer. Um, I, But Gears of War, I was <laughs> a funny story about Gears of War. My friend was playing Gears of War. I went over to his apartment. This was years and years ago uh, uh-huh. year from the tech world. And uh, he had just bought like a gigantic television. I think it was like a uh-huh. 65. I don't know. It was massive. At the time, and I had huge, never yeah. seen anything that big. He just mounted it on as well. Mm. He fired up Gears of War on it. And I literally, like, I felt like my brain was short circuiting. Yeah. Like, wow. Well, there was so much visual information happening. So much happening, stuff. Like yeah. I started to black out. I felt like there was just way too much happening, and it really spooked me. Like I kind of yeah. had to back
2: away yeah. from systems <laughs> for a while because I was like, "I don't know, that we're ready for this as a species, are we?" <laughs> like, it's a lot. It's a. It was a. It was a density of content that we hadn't yeah. seen before, and then there was like a chainsaw in it as well. So it was yeah, a lot. Yeah. there was a lot going on.
3: But that sure. whole phenomenon, where you know, in real life, theoretically, we we focus very intensely on something sort of in the middle of our our frame. Mm. and the rest sort of fades out but when mm-hmm. you're looking at a screen like that everything's on the same plane at sort of an equal level of detail and sharpness and it's, mm. it's just a massive amount of of info just like yep. flooding your system interesting really encountered that at that scale before
2: amazing also,
1: also, Gears of War famously was the first time that I had ever noticed someone using the slow, sad remix uh, when they used uh, Mad World for the trailer uh, oh. for Gears of War. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody everybody lost oh, their shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's
2: yeah. true. That was very yeah.
1: cool. All right. Our next piece of Dune news, our last piece of Dune news. <laughs>
2: Florence, pew, pew, pew. Oh, Florence. yeah. Florence. Yeah. She
1: is gonna be on hot ones this week. Uh, I'm
2: very excited for that. <laughs> yeah. We're having a special viewing in the Discord. This episode will already come out, but I'm gonna wake up early because it's on at 8 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be uh we're gonna be watching that live. So I'm excited about that.
1: Join the Discord. Speaking of the Discord, joining us this week, Bav Bubble, Fate is my name, and D bot. Mm. Jason, you wanna say anything
2: about DD Bot? I'm not ready to talk about the, <laughs> uh, I'm not ready to talk about the robots that I may or may not be programming using ChatGPT. <laughs> okay. Um, but there's now two of them as of right before this recording, there's now a second robot that lives, lives amongst us. And Is recording. either one working? Uh, not right now, but like, the, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the process, it's a process. Uh, <laughs> and like, I feel very confident that the second one will actually, actually work, but more news on that in the Discord, so please come join us and hang out with our robot friends.
1: Very good, very good. Hoon, what is your history, if any,
3: with Dune? I mean, aside from being a big fan of this most recent iteration. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember seeing the first, I mean, I read the book, I remember seeing the first film, partially because I was a, a big police fan. <laughs> 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 the idea of, oh, of seeing Sting yeah. in, this sort of, uh, in this sort of role was really interesting. Yeah. Um, But, I, I, I remember being like very confused uh, about when I saw the film mm. um, and it wasn't for, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad confusion but there, was, right. there were aspects of it that I think were uh, really arresting to me sort of artistically like the, mm. the real close-up uh, voice work and things like that. Things that, were, right. there were a lot of sort of things that felt like chances taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that but uh, I think having grown up sort of worshiping star wars it was always this it felt jarring to me um mm. in in that way just because of the conventions i was a pretty sheltered child too i did wasn't going to the movies every week and that sort of thing so hmm. um, when i first saw it i remember feeling like i don't understand it like i don't think i understand
1: <laughs> it yeah, makes um, an impression yeah for sure
3: <laughs> yeah yeah but um but i have to say that the most recent film um i'm a big fan of denny's work in general yeah and I really appreciated how, um, man, it's just, it's so difficult to actually create a sense of scale and scope like that. Um, mm-hmm. people kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Um, but especially if you have some sort of insight into world building, um, like the sea universe, for example, right? Mm-hmm. you come to realize how, how carefully one has to do that in order to imply so much more than you can actually show. So, mm. if you're trying to create an intergalactic um, world with its own rules, with its own classes, with languages, with psychic phenomena, with factions, alien races, like, mm. yeah, you could go down a deep rabbit hole in any one of those areas to try to make those things uh, coherent, yet not at the center, you know, so that the story can be at the center is, is mm. an incredibly difficult task. Um, And I have huge admiration for it.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of what I was referring to Uh, when when we were talking about like sort of, do you, does, do you ever get the feeling when you're working on this? Like, is this working? Like when someone's like doing like a a bit of like, no, I mean, I think, I think your answer was on, on point two is like. Like when we're doing this is like, and I'm saying this like little bit of exposition that's actually hinting at this broader world is like, I don't know if anyone's gonna like, I don't know if anyone's gonna understand that there was like an interregnum and the emperor wasn't there for a year and now he's back, but he's got like a daughter that like, you know, has snake for teeth or whatever, you know, and like, you know, there's like a whole there's a whole situation that's being alluded to just like, and I think that is, I think that is the challenge in the Dune universe. Uh, and it's kind of what you experienced when you see the Lynch one where you're just like, I don't know, they're whispering shit at me and I don't, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to take away from (laughs) this.
3: But I think that, I think it's actually the opposite problem. I think the actual, Mm. like, I think that, uh, like people who are really into it, people who consider themselves like, nerds or yeah or um what you know connoisseurs of science fiction etc like there's a delight in going as deep as you can sure you mm. know people who like really trace out the languages of lord of the rings that's what right I mean, you know mm-hmm. and the problem is that you could easily spiral into a sort of pseudo-academic hole into right. right. these categories right and no one at the end of the day it will cease to be gripping it'll cease to be interesting right uh, at an emotional level so it's really about, to me, what's masterful is when they give you enough information that you can stop thinking about it. Yeah, right. They give right, you enough information. Right. You can, I kind of understand that. Yeah. And now I can, I, I understand it enough that I can get on with the story and I understand what the stakes are. I understand why that has consequence or why people are worried about it. Or right. Why people care about it. Um, but we don't have to go down that road, um, even if it circles back later.
1: I remember my neighbor uh, who went to the screening. We we rented the IMAX theater in San Francisco mm. on opening night uh, for private screening, and this was you know mid COVID. Um, and my neighbor said, "I got it. You know, Paul is you know worried about his future. There's a mm. prophecy, mm-hmm. and he's worried about it." I'm like, "Okay, you got it. You got yep. the movie, um, and and you're a total doom doob. So, yep. Denis... We were worried, uh, you know, like would it cross over and attach uh, to the mainstream audience, and it did. So, mm-hmm.
3: but, you know, you f- you find the same phenomenon in, in like really well performed Shakespeare, mm-hmm. because the that's language a great insight. you know it's such a it's such a barrier the language for right. people. But when mm. you know have people that really know what they're doing, right? People understand it. They really that's
2: understand great. It. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And it's like also because like with Shakespeare, like particularly the histories, like yes. there is actually a factual basis That's behind right. yeah. what's going on on stage yeah. that like probably you don't know about like, you know, the history of the war, the roses or whatever. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, and the particular politics of Shakespeare showing this. And so, you know, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to take away from this? But like, it doesn't really matter because like the St. Crispin's Day speech works or whatever. Yeah, you know, exactly it's like, right. Yeah.
3: Right. <laughs> you, you have to understand enough that you can, you can just get lost in the rest of it. Yeah, it, yeah. love if, it. You know, and the, if someone hasn't really done their work on that side of it, yeah, they put that work on you as the artist. Yeah, like yeah, fi- right. parse it out, figure it out, and then you're mm. thinking about it and you're not listening and hearing it and feeling it.
2: Now I want to see a Shakespearean adaptation of Dune, though. Like That's the problem. With the, the <laughs> I mean, I that's
3: li- pretty would... much what we're watching, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's... yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. It's <laughs> so different. I you guess could that's look true. At, you can look at modern interpretations of Shakespeare now, and they are right. from every genre. You know, <laughs> right. Or, oh, my God. Every
2: version.
1: That, that is awesome. That's great. All right. Well, what do you think, you guys? Should we get let's into this movie? The Matrix?
2: Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: All right, here we go. The Matrix is the struggle to strip away the illusions that shape our lives and wake up to who we are truly capable of becoming. Thomas Anderson lives two lives, one as a computer programmer for a boring software company and the other as Neo, an elite hacker searching for the notorious fugitive Morpheus and the answer to the question haunting him, what is the Matrix? But Neo gets more than he bargained for when Morpheus reveals that his whole life has been a lie and pulls him into the real world, a post-apocalyptic future where humans scramble in the shadows to avoid capture and death at the hands of the machines. Now, Neo will train and be led back into the Matrix, where alongside his fellow freedom fighter, the deadly and beautiful Trinity, he will determine for himself whether he is the one prophesied to defeat the machine forces led by the brutal Agent Smith. Can he fulfill his destiny and free his people, or will he be trapped as just another equation running in the Matrix?
2: Oh. Oh. Oh, I got chills. I got <laughs> chills. I'm a, it's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. Hell yeah! uh i got you on equation jason because uh you got me on equation because reloaded because of
1: matrix yeah too. yeah i'm just gonna set the ground rules like full uh, i want revolution i want i want the reloaded uh, you know like context brought into this film
2: sure sure
1: sure we'll, we'll try to focus on the movie at hand but hoon um tell me what was your first experience with the matrix uh
3: i saw it when it came out uh, i was at 99 right and mm-hmm. um, yeah and uh saw it in the theaters and it 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 really floored me. Um, And there, you know, in rewatching it in, you know, subsequently, I am really impressed with the filmmaking too. And I, at the time I didn't, I didn't really clock that as heavily. Um, I was just so Mm. sort of enraptured by the ideas presented. And, and it was, it did remind me of Star Wars in the sense that it's rare that you see something in the genre that redefines the genre.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yes.
3: Uh, both from, you know, from almost every aspect from a content standpoint and the ideas discussed philosophically and also from a technological standpoint and filmmaking perspective. And, you know, they innovated bullet time, which subsequently became part of the vocabulary and persists to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that made it like truly groundbreaking and, and a seminal work really in a lot of ways. Um Mm-hmm. it's a
1: real chapter it's it's a book it's a bookend on you've got 91 you had t2 yeah and yeah. 99 we had the matrix taking it to to an entirely it's it's that uh sense familiarity uh yeah uh, you know yeah, like yeah. uh you know they they saw what what could be done and took it up
2: jason how about you i think the star wars observation is well spotted because it was i remember standing in line to see this movie on opening week and i remember like immediately kind of wanting to go back and, <laughs> and seeing it yeah. again I, I and like the effect that like culturally it had of like something in the genre having that cultural import in a time before the Marvel ascendancy where like, you know, science fiction, adventure action, mo- movie making, like T2 existed, like mm-hmm. those those movies existed, but like, this was now like, okay, this is, we've got another one. We've got another one that is going to mean as much as um, as Star Wars really felt and, and, and change filmmaking. I think also, I agree on this viewing I was I was really impressed by how good the filmmaking is in it Um, beyond just it being this like technical warehouse Mm of 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 technique and and style. And I will I do have to confess that when I went to go see it the first time, I wasn't like a hater. I love the movie, but I was really I really reacted negatively Mm -hmm. to the marketing campaign. of like, you, no one can be told what The Matrix is, you have to go see it. Because like, I was like a 23 year old, like gatekeeping, <laughs> like nerd. And I was just like, this is just a brain in a box. Like, you know, we've seen, this is like a classic trope of science fiction. The idea that like, you can't like be told what this is, is ridiculous. It's like, they're not like inventing anything here. It's a classic trope of science fiction. And like, I was really hung up on that at the time. <laughs> but I view that this, I bring this up, not as an indictment of The Matrix, but more as an indictment of myself as a 23 year old who, like thought he knew it thought he knew how the world worked. Uh um, that's really funny. Well, they what won you over. That's that's a feat. They won me over. They won me over for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and,
1: and we're gonna get into it like right at the beginning of the film. But for me, like I was just literally stunned. Um from from yeah. Trinity's praying yeah. mantis on, I just was shocked. Um, and so trying to react to it and and have been a huge fan. Um Uh, ever since let's just quickly do some behind the scenes so in 94 the wachowskis pitched assassins which i've never seen that's uh antonio banderas Mm -hmm. um oh right so they pitched them uh to wb and they got signed to a three-picture deal including that bound and the matrix Mm -hmm. um Joel Silver got involved and hired Jeff Darrow, the legendary comic mm-hmm. artist behind mm-hmm. Hard Boiled and Shaolin Cowboy, mm-hmm. um, and Steve Skros, uh, and they did a 600-page storyboard, um, which is amazing. Then, let's just talk quick near-casting misses. Oh, yes. Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Depp.
2: Yeah. Brad
1: Pitt. Nicolas Cage. Yeah leonardo dicaprio were all approached yeah will smith turned it down to make wild wild west
2: yes giant spider in the third act yeah like the (laughs) the the will smith tells the story like on stage and it's very very funny of him turn of like why he turned it down Mm -hmm. um and like you know how he just didn't get it and whatever and it kind of goes back to the same theme of like if like why would you believe that this is gonna this could easily turn out to be like you know, like, like, um, equilibrium or whatever, like one of these movies that's like, you know, very stylistic, very stylistic and very like compelling from a science fiction standpoint, if you're a science fiction fan, but like the filmmaking doesn't transcend, like, you know, it's not going to, you know, the, the, the actual narrative filmmaking isn't going to like redefine the genre and redefine how people approach movies. Like, how do you know that? Like you're trusting someone in this case with a relatively thin like a relatively thin IMDb, like going into mm. you know going into making this going into making this movie. So hmm. yeah, I mean, you kind of get why they had to they had to look around for a while.
3: And you, you raise a good point, which is like when you encounter works that you, you just feel like you hear the story so often that people right. are like, no one got it, right? You know, and it's like, well, yeah, because if it's something is actually breaking new ground, there's so little precedent for it, and so many jobs are incentivized to play it safe.
5: Yeah. Why mm-hmm. would
3: people embrace it? You know, right. Um, you, you actually, I, you know, I got that sense from the uh, podcast you did with the adaptation of Arrival. Yeah. Right. You know? Oh my God. And like Ted Chang's stories are phenomenal. They're like his two collections are incredible. But how do you translate that to a pitch? for, for someone who is looking for something a bit more predictable.
2: (laughs) 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 So funny because like, it's like literally like he just went around like, we don't, you know, this is a no, we're not really going to get it. And then he wrote, he wrote the whole thing (laughs) and they're like, oh, this is actually really good, but it's definitely a no, we're not going to do it. and like, you know, and so there's tons like, yeah, there's tons of stories like that in in the industry for sure. But Mm. there's a
3: quality to the, to the matrix that I, I didn't pick up on at the time, um, so much of the so much of the story of the matrix in general especially as it evolves and to be fair even into the actual you know personal lives of the the wakowskis it's like
4: oh yeah it's about
3: uh like trying to get around these sorts of limitations and constraints yeah and so even in the filmmaking the within you know the the film morphs so many times in genre it goes between yeah. like a noir and a horror movie, yeah straight up action straight yeah. up sci-fi um and it just bounces between them there's a there's a huge amount of creative freedom in the filmmaking and what they're borrowing from yeah um, and, and pacing too right to do it they
1: like some some elements are going so fast and then they just slow down for these like intense conversations um so like just the 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 bravery to do that
3: yeah i I wondered how much of that was a stylistic choice versus um like people need to we need people to get this yeah slower yeah yeah, (laughs) like literally yeah yeah yeah, larry do that slower
2: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you know they're not gonna get it (laughs) take a deep breath <laughs> people are really confused about yeah, how yeah, we ended yeah. up in the dojo at yeah. this point let's yeah, just well exactly. let's just make it real let's clear let's just make
3: this part of your character you- yeah exactly you yeah. talk You're like slowly 89- like 89 <laughs> percent speed just keep it simmering around there
1: oh my god uh so last uh last two near casting sandra bullock uh was asked to star in the film Mm. changing the gender uh to female but turned it down Mm. um and also ewan mcgregor was sent the script but turned it down to do episode one which is probably a pretty good idea yeah I love this idea. The cast were required to be able to understand and explain the matrix. This is a mm-hmm. real um, you know, piece. Jason, French philosopher, Jean Baudrillard's Simulacra mm-hmm. and Simulation. Mm-hmm. Like, of course. What's, what's, the, what's the 10 second on that one?
2: Uh, I mean, like, look, I like, this is, this is like the point in the movie is that like, there's a difference, but the, the, there's a difference between the perception reality and underlying reality is like the, you know, that there's, that there's this disconnect between like the world that we perceive and like, you know, and the world that we create in our mind. Um, and was so John, was John from the future or like what's happened? You know, I mean, like, a lo- I mean, that was like, think like part of what I, again, going back to my like tech bro um reaction in the movie i was like oh like this is a theme like what is reality is like an eternal like you know like you know it's one of the so, oldest philosophical yeah questions. it's like a so- yeah. it's like a socratic theme yeah, yeah. as well right i mean Played like this is shadows like, this, on the cave. yeah exactly mm. um mm. and so like this is this is like the we're dealing in some pretty primal myths here mm. um and but like i think it, it this movie is like genius is that it finds a way to make it digestible i think the place where i think the place where it transcends is the thing that hoon was talking about was that actually when you watch this movie now you understand how personal this quest for understanding what is real and true and what is like true inside me versus like how i am perceived is for the filmmakers and like that that element of it and, and that informs all the stylistic choices goes takes it from being like the movie that like when the dvd came out there's like seven commentary tracks when like one of them is with like you know um cornell west and there's like a whole philosophical Mm -hmm. like you know reading of the movie and and that's interesting but like it ends up becoming like this this more personal very you know there's this, this very personal how am i perceived and what is my own internal truth and i think that's um, I think that's what you know gives it some real inf- like mm-hmm.
3: when uh like when you're starting to hear descriptions of the matrix in the film from the characters,
0: mm-hmm.
3: they seem actually contradictory mm-hmm. uh, because I think uh I think Morpheus describes it initially, and it's a, it's an echo of how people describe the force, right? But he's like it's all around you.
1: Right, right, It's, it's you know, right, right, right. It, but he's
3: describing it in very sensory terms. He's describing right. it as the external world. Huh. But then, when he later, when they're in the um, right, the prep area, the white prep
1: area, the loading room, mm-hmm, yeah, the
3: loading room. He he says to him, "You can't taste it or touch it or feel it." Right. right, right. So when you when you kind of marry those descriptions together, he's talking about a societal constraint. It's it's a non-sensory bounded world um, wow of rules right that's great um Mm. and so they seem contradictory on the surface because we're thinking about the physicality of what we're witnessing right but that's not really what it's about um and all of the characters contend with that like smith contends with it right yeah you know smith becomes a rogue program you know right he busts out so this kind of hunt for freedom is a universal hunt, right? Like everybody is involved with
4: it. Wow. Um, So
3: it's not really about... To me, it it just starts to read so clearly about permission to transgress, like permission to break outside of what people think you should be, right?
2: That's really good. Like, because (laughs) like the... Well, and I'm like, honestly, I've seen this movie a thousand times and I'm now just thinking about it through this lens of like, okay, like, so Mouse, like his Mm -hmm. like sort of particular like horny, Mm -hmm. like, you know, pursuit of like, you know, oh, there's a sex object in the world. And like, that's like sort of his thing that he's like trying to figure out what the game is Mm -hmm. behind it and like, and like, you know, and, and, and Neo all the way in which he interfaces with it was like, you know, like in the context of prophecy and like being mm-hmm. con- like the context of inner truth It's like all of those characters are trying to find a way of what are the, what are the edges? Like, what are the places where I can press and I can bend like this r- system of rules that I believe to be true yeah. um, in a way that's particular to the character? Yeah. Um, that's really huh. great. Yeah, this, right.
3: And the, like, we kind of look at this idea of like um, free will right? And mm-hmm. we, we assign this to humanity. We assign this to, and we assign it as a virtue. And I think what the story actually talks about is the responsibility of choice. Mm-hmm. Because Cypher doesn't want choice, right? Mm-hmm. Cypher wants mm-hmm. this other life. And I think that's a completely valid viewpoint. Like, If I'm Cypher, I get it. I think he's an incredible character. Um, because I think he represents the vast majority of people. Right. I think the vast majority of people if you're given in the abstract the choice of freedom versus enslavement, you pick freedom. Yep. If you're given the choice between comfort versus misery, you choose uh-huh. comfort. Right, uh-huh. and I think that that's it's a mirror to the the choices that everyone else is making. Right? Yep. Um, Morpheus, when he, he when Morpheus talks about Neo, he's so certain, right. And we love Keanu Reeves <laughs> and we want to be certain too. Right, it. right. But all the conversations with uh, the Oracle are about you'll never know. Right. Uh-huh. She'll uh-huh. give you these prophecies. And you will take from it what you will. So with just enough wiggle this- room,
1: right? Like just enough wiggle room that, that it can be interpreted either way. Uh, right. She's very careful in, in how she does that. That's
3: right. So you come away from that going, well, is this something, therefore, that Morpheus brought about? Yeah. Because mm. of Morpheus's deep need to right, believe.
2: Right, 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 right. Need to believe, yeah. You know, it's just something mm.
3: where. Manifested? Yeah, but also like every. And, and again, we follow the rules of the movie, right? And the rules uh-huh. of the movie are there is a one. Yeah, Not, right. But then we learn there were many ones.
2: There were many ones. Yeah.
3: Right? Yeah. So maybe Keanu wasn't the only one, even in this version, you know?
2: I love this idea of Morpheus. Like, you're blowing mm. my mind here. Like, the, I love this <laughs> idea of Morpheus as this generative force in this universe and the force of his belief, um, like pulling us in as the audience, as well as those around him. And like if, and and it really is just sort of being willing to like sign up to his program. And one of the interesting things there is that it shows that yes, there's this constructed reality of the matrix that people are, you know, uh, duped into believing, you know, by the evil robots, but, Morpheus himself is constructing reality using his language and his presence mm-hmm. that seduces us into a different reality that is not as constructed, not constructed in the same way as the Matrix world, but is still a construction is still a construction of, of beliefs and rules and like, you know, and 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 breakages in the rules. And we're being seduced by him as well. Um, just as like Cypher is seduced by that very juicy steak that I think would uh, actually work on me, I would probably go for the steak.
3: <laughs> the real critical moment for Morpheus in The Matrix, the first movie, is when he's being interrogated by Smith. Yeah. Right. The danger is not in what they're trying to do to his brain, which is kind of glossed over. They give him an injection. You don't know what it is. Doesn't matter. Right. The real right. danger right. is Smith makes a very compelling argument as Right, to the true nature of humanity. Right. He's actually right. Right. You know, and in fact, the weird thing is that he becomes that. He becomes right. this replicating virus, virus yeah. in the subsequent movies, which yeah. means he becomes more human. Yeah. By his own description.
1: But right? I so I need to challenge this though, because mm. the reality is what he describes is correct. Humans expand mm. um, you know, um exponentially and mm. consume all resources until you get a collapse. Everything in
2: nature does that. Grass well, I, does that, I mean,
1: trees do that viruses do that
4: and I well, I bunnies the, do
2: that you're kind of doing the tech bro thing of like well actually viruses or whatever but like the <laughs> the, the, the 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 point but the point is that it's seductive right like mm. that there's like to the audience not just to morpheus but to us as well there's something in us particularly like a, a certain type of audience i think the wachowskis knew they were talking to which will like look at this and be like particularly in a late 90s context or even mm-hmm. contemporary context and be like Oh, like we are actually well, humans. We do have this aspect of us that's messing this. I, up, that's I like don't think that it's plan. a
3: question of accuracy. It's a yeah. question of how they're how how it's being lensed, right? That's right. So it's it's a perspective on it, and we and and Smith's value as someone we see as inhuman, even though I will make the case that he's not at all, mm-hmm. right? Right, like because we are accepting that viewpoint he offers us a perspective on ourselves that we don't natively use. We don't look at that situation. And in fact, as moviegoers, we view it even less because we are rooting so hard for the primary lens that we've been introduced to. There's a version of this movie that starts with Smith. Yes. Uh There's a version of this movie where he's the hero because this insurgent group is trying to destroy the world. Yeah. right. And he is the force of order that is going to put down this chaos so that everyone in the world can continue living their beautiful lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the
2: magic trick that Hugo Weaving does in this is that like he's giving this incredibly like broad performance mm-hmm. in which like you know it's very menacing and it's you know it's very over the top as like a villain but the reality is is that what he's doing as you say he's a, he's an anti-hero or a tragic hero in the story where yes. like he actually does have he becomes human he becomes the things which he despises. He, he becomes human in some regard. And that ends up being his like maddening undoing as the as the as the the trilogy goes on. Um, which like, you know, which does like you do feel like some empathy for his character. He's not just like this. He's not just this blind you know like one-dimensional villain. No I just
1: I just want to say one thing because I, I want to make sure you guys got my point. Yeah, my yeah. point <laughs> is that all of nature is this way, but humans specifically have an understanding and an ability to break that cycle. Mm. And it is that that willingness to put to sacrifice yourself for others. Um, that is at the heart of what makes humanity so special. I would,
3: Um, I would argue that there's a pretty strong case to be made that most of nature exists in an equilibrium and that humans have been particularly successful in leveraging technologies to advantage us unfairly to the rest of nature. So I think that, um, you know, that, that makes a case for things like viruses, I mm-hmm. a, a, a description as a virus, as the analogy, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like a, an early, like Ray Kurzweil book or something where he was talking mm-hmm. about the idea that the real evolution of mankind is technological, that it's not right. biological, mm-hmm. we reach right. The limit of our biology, and we'll continue to evolve through technology. The
1: singularity is near. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So there's this, uh, there's a sense to me where, um, and we're encountering this now. So actually, let me back up a little bit. This, one thing that struck me about this movie is on one level, it's it's showing its age mm-hmm. because its techniques were so uh, readily mm-hmm. adopted everywhere. And on another level, it, I feel like it's really opened up again uh, unintentionally um, as the rest of the yes. world starts to grow in their awareness of artificial intelligence and multidimensional theory and all of these things that are becoming more understood by the layperson. And so suddenly you're looking at a different version of how to view this movie. Um, huh. And so people, you know, I've heard theories about the real world in The Matrix as being yet another extension of The Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's this book by uh, David Chalmers recently, Re- uh, Reality Plus, and he talks about, he's, he's making the case that virtual reality, objects in virtual reality, for example, should be considered real,
5: that mm-hmm. they are real, they are simply mm-hmm.
3: not biologically real or Mm -hmm. real in the in the sense that we understand and uh if you look at a character like smith that case is absolutely made and in fact smith is quite distinct from the other agents
0: Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm.
3: portrayed very differently right yep so there's a sense to me that yeah you can really read them as and they're it's a given they almost they fly through this idea that they are sentient morpheus describes them as sentient programs so they're alive Mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> so why wouldn't they have as much of a right to life as right. we would it's a huge ethical dilemma in the movie but it, right. it it's only raised in a salient way now i think yeah right um as we start to come to to grapple with these questions in real time in our actual world yeah. um, but it's like a fascinating way to see this movie now um
2: a hundred percent. I thought that when we rewatched it, like, cause I was like deep in the chat GPT rabbit hole when, sure. uh, when we rewatched this movie recently mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, am still. And so like, I was like, Oh shit, like, yeah, you know, this exactly. is like, <laughs> exactly. what do we, like, we do it? Like, it's like, our you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's a very exciting movie to revisit right
3: now. Here's a, here's the thing. One of the things they touch upon as a question, they never, and again, it's like in the same way we were just talking about, like, how much can you, <sighs> I had a drawing professor once and he, would say that he was talking to me about using a line in a drawing, right? And you mm. know, I came from this, you know you come out of high school, you think you're a hotshot artist and I'm like shading the hell out of everything, right? Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to create a photograph with charcoal, right? Uh. right? And he would to draw this line and he would say, he would like vary the thickness of the line. He's like drawing a hand or something. And just by varying the thickness of the line, he could imply dimension and light mm-hmm. and shape and there was no shading and all this stuff. And he's, he said to me, um, and I've, I've kept this with me. He just said, see how much you can get away with.
0: Mm-hmm. See how much you
3: can get away with. It. And I feel like right. great movies, particularly movies that have to wrestle with gigantic intellectual concepts, when they work, that's what they're doing. They're, they, mm-hmm. they give you just enough that you can go off on your own and imply the rest. Right, and, and they don't have to touch on it anymore. Mm. Yeah, But there's this thing that happens that starts to imply questions about, you know, even things like predetermination. So the deterministic universe is done in sort of like a quasi-mystical and quasi-religious way in the, in the film. Right. But there's also right. an implication of like the block universe here, because there's moments in the film where ac- action is anticipated. Right. Wake up Neo. Yeah. And then he wakes up. Yes, yes. But there's no cue for him to wake up. Right. Right. Right? right, follow the white rabbit. Then he sees it. Right, mm-hmm.
2: right, right. But she right. has
3: to turn her shoulders. See, there's a high probability he never sees it.
2: Right, right. right? Mm-hmm.
3: Later on, the oracle's assistant opens the door before he gets to the handle. Right. Yep. You know, there's like there's predictive things happening here, which yep. implies that as we later learn and start certain things, they've seen this before. Yes. There have been multiple versions. So at some point. You're like, how much of this is predetermined?
1: Yeah, but who is doing? The question is who's doing it, right? So I took I took the sense that wake up was was Trinity sending him that, but other pieces certainly, um, you know, the architect and the oracle are likely taking action and and pushing stuff in uh, in his path uh, for the purpose of kind of controlling you know his evolution. No,
3: no, and that's fine. Even if Trinity is is the source of that yeah. message. It's yeah. the timing of it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. what's interesting about the film part of it, the filmmaking part of it, because they could have easily swapped those shots. Yeah, right. His eyes flutter open. Wake up, Neo. Shows up on the screen. Right, right, right. right. But mm-hmm. they don't. No, no. And it's they don't. It's, right. So yeah. the causality is implied. Yeah. But there's no reason for it. Right. Yeah. So it's an awareness versus an action taken against uh, to impose a to state on Neo. It's really interesting. It's all this stuff that happens in little detail throughout the movie is fascinating.
1: Well, I do have a question, Jason, what's on that $2,000 zip disc?
2: Oh uh, yeah. It looks, it looks, I don't know. Oregon trail. Like, I'm not sure what they got. I'm not sure what they got on those. Like back in the day, there's some good looking, there's some good looking computer parts in this movie. Generally, generally yeah. speaking, like there's some real, like, this is a, the most high class fries that anyone's ever been to. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Like all the little hackery stuff that's in the movie, like, that's the part of the There is like a, to your point about like a plays with genre, there's this fun, like little, you know, cyber you Mm -hmm. know cyber hacking movie in here as well uh, that that is like rooted in some noir conventions um Mm -hmm. and but is also rooted in a bunch of like filmic conventions about how like we do you know how we show um how we show this kind of underworld um i I love seeing that in the context of computer hackers it's just great um yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean when
3: i was working on job for banshee one of the things that i discussed with jonathan and greg and uh because we were talking about how to be specific about what type of uh cross-dressing job does and the mm-hmm. reasons why and what i said to them at the time was i'm not a person who identifies with these groups and, right and i don't want to be mistaken for speaking on their behalf right mm-hmm. so i want to make sure that we understand every reason why he does what he does mm-hmm. so that because i think even if people were to take us to task uh, about it uh um, mm-hmm. I want to know we did everything we could do. I want to have a clear conscience about it. Mm. And one of the things we thought about a lot, and one of the things I thought about a lot was, um, I was thinking, I I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft at the time.
2: Okay, this is now gonna be a big digression, but (laughs) continue, continue. And
3: um, I was really fascinated by um, why people chose specific avatars. Yeah. Mm. And I remember having conversations with people in that world where I would would realize that, you know, I was playing with a, a man, Mm -hmm. who was playing as a woman right and i asked them why do you do this and a couple of the answers i got really stuck with me one of them was um they they tended to be quite pragmatic right one of them was you tend to get invited to more parties right you know you can go campaigning more right one of them was people tend to give you more free stuff right right the 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 gender politics carried over and it led me to this thought that if job's history was such that he was deeply immersed in and, uh, you know, the, in com- the computer world, let's call it, the digital world.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And he was and that that was like an escape for him, that that was a a place of refuge for him. That yeah. He would adopt a lot of the same attitudes, probably. And so the idea was that on some figurative level, he was trying to pull that world into the real world. Right. And, and he was going to borrow whatever made him feel powerful, mm-hmm. you know, whatever made him feel strong. And sometimes that's from the feminine side. Yep. Yeah, um, because he didn't want to be put in a box. He, d- he yeah. his whole thing, even just being a criminal and being a thief and being someone who breaks systems, he just doesn't like the idea of constraint. Control. Yeah, right. And so like the matrix was clearly informing that perspective at the same time where, you know, if these are people that enter a world where the rules are of your own creation, then so are the constraints. Yeah. Or the lack thereof. And so that, that was, that was one of the ways that the matrix informed that process because Job was a hacker. Like it was was such a direct call. That's awesome.
2: How did you, how did, how was, was the process of discovering Job's voice, uh, in that role? Um,
3: you know, it was very much in the script. I thought, um, Mm. you know, it, it presented in the script Mm. and again, it was a similar sort of idea that, um, we took some pains in early versions of scripts, um, Job's ethnicity was mentioned and I asked for those to be struck um, Hmm. if if at all possible because it became clear with by you know maybe three or four episodes into the first season that certain things were not being done with this character that were sort of low-hanging fruit and for a show like uh, Banshee that was like so pulpy and so genre-driven
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That was kind of unusual, like it stood out to me. So yeah. we, once that pattern was spotted, we started to be more protective of it. So for example, um, uh, Anthony's char- character, Ant Star's character, yeah. Lucas Hood, yes. they have this sort of deep friendship, Job and Lucas Hood. And one of the ways we kind of cheated that relationship was that Hood doesn't address Job in certain ways. Mm-hmm. He never mentions his ethnicity. He never mentions his cross-dressing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And in that mm-hmm. way, we imply that he's already passed all those things. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That they, they have known each other long enough that these things are transparent to him. The person who does make mention of it is Frankie's character because right. they are new friends. Right, right. So he's still on those things, right?
1: Right. And it, But the, the interactions between the two of you are, are so phenomenal. Uh, you know, the kind of like <laughs> the obvious respect and love, but also kind of some bristling um, tension that's there. Yeah. It's-
3: yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a sense that uh, Job has maybe one or two friends. Right. That um, right. right. His loyalties are very, very hard won. but mm. because he knows that he will sacrifice anything for these people, it frustrates him and it, it upsets him that that's like one of the constraints he, he knows about himself. Like he, he can't really break out of that. Um the, his sense of loyalty to people.
1: Sorry, I just want to ask you a question because this came up um a couple episodes ago when we did hackers. Had mm. had you seen that and I had not, but a good mm. friend of mine
3: is in it. Peter okay. Kim. Yeah. He's oh really? It. Yeah. Oh. So okay. I hadn't um cool. Yeah, Peter Peter and I have been friends for a very long time. Because um, there wow. there are
1: two Asian cross dressing yeah, so hackers.
3: Yes. Yeah, so Darren and Peter are both Blake, good friends. Peter
2: <laughs> Kim plays plays
3: Blake. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, Peter actually married my wife and I.
2: Oh my God! Amazing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Darren.
2: So wait. So so what's the conversation like between like the two of you about the about like you know the being the forefront of 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 this type of character in, in all of in all of film history?
3: I mean, the idea of uh, what one might call a feminized Asian male is a pretty yeah. standard old trope. Yes. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. doesn't. Yes. You know that doesn't. That's not a particularly interesting conversation for either right. mm-hmm. of us. Um, right. And the idea of an Asian person being sort of deeply linked to technology is not particularly right, a particularly right. new conversation right. as well. Um, uh-huh. I think where right. what was special to me about Job were all the other aspects of him, where yeah. his deep loyalty was one. The fact that he was really funny, um, uh-huh. I thought was really special, actually. Um, and it allowed him to function, to have a unique function in the world, um, really only mirrored by uh, Matt Servito's character, Brock. Uh, right. Who was right. similarly quite dry. Um but uh and that the fact that he got to participate in sort of all of the sort of uh the violence of it and the sort of um
1: the badassery. <laughs> the yeah. badassery
3: of it exactly. They there was a stretch where I was like, they just seemed to be giving me bigger and bigger guns. And I was like <laughs> I was just like, I can't run with this thing. It's like 30 yeah. pounds. Um
2: but, oh my god. At, but, you know, that,
3: those were the aspects that really stood out to me was that. That's great. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't made to be less than. Right. It was, it felt like an augmentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than A reduction. Yeah, Love it.
2: Love quick, it. Quick, quick, final thing. What, what, uh, <laughs> Hoarder or Alliance? Uh, when you're playing World of Warcraft? I,
3: I played Alliance. Except, okay. except when the Blood Elves came around.
2: Then I, okay. I did a swap, And it, What but, was your, what, uh, what was your class? You play? <laughs> uh,
3: I liked to play Druid, actually.
2: I also am a druid yeah. main. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. I was an alliance druid. I was a night elf druid. Night that elf was druid, my same. that's, that's elf my elf oldest. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Listen, we need some picks. You guys that's both have amazing. shaved heads? Like Yeah, there's... that's great. i mentioned, got lo-
3: What was it? I think it was that Arrival podcast you were talking about <laughs> Clerics. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
2: not maces. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, just like I'll a say maces.
3: Say, Right but Mace's factor, factor pretty heavy in yes, World of Warcraft true. the Druid yeah they're, yeah, like, that's oh, true. they're pretty yeah. badass with the maces so they are like- good
2: I always, I always, whenever my Druid would end up with like a one handed man. So I was like, this is temporary. I don't care what right. you know, the stats <laughs> yes. are on this thing. Like, this is this a thing, placeholder. This is not going to work out. Like <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah, need yeah. a staff in here pretty damn quick yeah. Uh, yeah. in order to get back. I also only exclusively, not exclusively, but pretty predominantly play uh, female characters. Like, and and my, 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 right. my Warcraft main was a, was a, a female knight elf Druid. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Wow. I don't know. This is, whole, this is a whole separate podcast now. I had to stop. I was playing <laughs> way, way too much. Yes, exactly. Ever, much. Basically, for me, every time I've gotten deep in a World of Warcraft, it has been precipitated by a major life crisis and like right. me needing to go get a new job, essentially, it's, because uh-huh. I'm like. I need to like get out of the house. Mm-hmm. I need to get find something. I need to find employment that is going to take me away from this. So, yeah, see, yeah. I
1: ha- I helped you by starting the podcast. Like,
2: you did. Like, I you haven't got- gotten into the expansion. <laughs> I haven't gotten into this expansion because we have too many too many podcasts. I have
3: before, been. So. I, I have not played in many 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 years. When yeah. I finally got off of it, I it felt like a huge relief. Yes, um, it's a huge relief when yeah. it's no.
2: It's like quitting heroin. It really. I mean, it, was <laughs> yeah. just like, it
3: was like every day, hours a day. Yeah. You start, you, and you know i was actually really fascinated by it it's just it's like from a from a social perspective you yeah start you know adventuring with people campaigning with people mm. you kind of get to know them um and you, oh yeah you, you just end up sort of like realizing that there's a you've you encounter different levels of intimacy, right? Too, where people are sort of like, "Hey, show me a picture, or tell me your real name," and you're like, "That's a line I'm not crossing." Like, there's a there's mm. a hard wall here, maybe for me. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but there's there's not for that person, you know. And they mm. they see it as a much more open system. That sort of thing. That was really interesting. Um mm. sort of encounter, but.
1: Amazing. Well, we've been getting to know folks uh, in the discord uh, with with some meetups um, and and it's nice that we have, we are a tighter community. Mm -hmm. um, And then Hoon, obviously, as any of our guests, automatic invitation to the Dune 2 screening on November 2nd in San Francisco. If you happen to be out, Um, we're going to have some good times there. So yeah. let's see. We're obviously not walking through this movie. No, no, no. We're talking about that. No, no. no, no it's, great. This I, is phenomenal. I
2: found a night elf druid brother. Like, this is <laughs> the best thing that's ever happened on this pod. <laughs> um, I do want
1: to just see um, if there's any specific things uh, that pop out kind of through the beginning uh, of the film. I love the propulsive nature of it. And I love that once we're introduced to Neo, and especially by the time the phone, you know, he gets the phone out of the FedEx box, he is driven forward Mm -hmm. and given very little choice. Um, And I like that idea. Trinity had a similar thing where, you know, he's like, you can make it get there and Mm -hmm. she has to take off and she has to tell herself to get up and keep running.
0: Mm -hmm,
1: Um, And so I like that idea of kind of being somewhat trapped. Um, Jason, I was also struck when uh, he seals his mouth and the tracer and it becomes a real core thing
2: yeah i was the first thing that really stood out to me in the rewatch of this movie was the tracer scene mm-hmm. and then the him going through the mirror and mm-hmm. it and both of those stuck out to me because i was like yes. the vfx totally works like for like for you know i think it's like it holds up fine yep. being you know 20 plus years later like it's not like oh this way like, better than fine yeah it, it's great it looks great it looks great and like yeah. it, and it's and it's also just like so adventurous like it's so like it's just so wildly adventurous a choice where it's not just like you know oh like you know they've got to fight a giant army or you know there's going to be this like you know there's going to be space lasers or whatever it's this whole visual language that you're being introduced to that's that feels with almost no precedent um it's great there's also
3: like there's an interesting thing one of the things that i think really raises the question as to how much of the the universe is simulated and whether that Mm -hmm. stops Mm -hmm. at the boundary of what Mm -hmm. what they call the matrix or whether it extends into zion and all these other things um which i think is a really interesting question um Mm -hmm. is sort of the way that the rules break all the time right and it it, they break so frequently in the and the but the movie's so well thought out it doesn't feel like an accident it feels like a choice so Mm -hmm. for example that scene that you're just talking about if they have the power to do something as fundamental as change neo's body in this world mm-hmm. why don't they do that to beat him like the, right. all of the tools that they use and the only answer is to me that made sense was the more that neo comes to understand the more control he has over everything right right so that that holds up pretty consistently throughout all of the movies from to the best hmm. of knowledge. Um, hmm. so at his most ignorant state he's the most susceptible Vulnerable. to control so again, yeah. it speaks to this larger thematic of the that knowledge is the way that you combat manipulation by others or uh, silencing by society or- Belief in uh, yourself. Yeah, but also the just awareness, just yeah. what is the actual nature of the system that I am in is mm. enough to sort of create a, to, to act as a tonic to some of these things, um, which has been very interesting to see, you know, the adoption of- you know red pill for example for a certain Mm -hmm. societal awareness or like yeah yeah yeah, pulling the veil off of whatever it's that sort of universal drive I think we all have to say what is the what is the actual truth of this and I would like to understand that and I feel that that understanding will empower me but I think that in the lens of like to look at this movie now with what we're all experiencing now and the awareness we have now I feel like it actually does the opposite and it raises questions it actually Yeah, I
2: love, yeah. I love this. I love yeah, this. I love this analysis like, because it's the way out of the red pill conundrum uh right. which is yeah. that this movie ended up being co-opted to mean oh like there is this deeper truth that if you do your own research you can find out what the reality <laughs> is but actually you're yeah, being yeah, radicalized yeah. into an authoritarian cult. Um <laughs> right, and, and right. like but instead if we re if we re-examine and re-interrogate the movie and what it's actually saying about the red pill, mm-hmm. that's actually it turns out to be an arbitrary choice. Like that is it's not the like choice. that that is not the dichotomy that it is presented as, or at first blush you believe it to be. It, there, it's all about different layers of abstraction and all about yeah. different layers of imposed meaning. And Morpheus yeah. is imposing his own own meaning through his own use of language and his own use of charisma, and mm-hmm. we get seduced by different characters' own own interpretations um and it's not it's not that there is one truth that lies beneath everything so i think that's a very powerful and freeing reframe
3: also because if that pragmatic that pragmatic lens is applied to other things you start to ask questions like why kung fu right Mm. right right like why use this interpretive method for combat why like they can summon guns right (laughs) why not just bazooka the place down like right so these are like these are the choices that are partially cinematic obviously and for right adventure it's Mm. in the in the shape of the universe you go this is a story they're telling themselves because it has the shape of a story they're telling themselves because there's a lot of stuff that makes no sense right so that's the case is in every aspect then potentially that
2: Right. a story isn't, we're telling ourselves yeah
3: isn't Zion a story that these people are telling yeah. themselves you know and, and, um, yeah.
2: exactly
1: the whole the whole danger of like the squids are gonna get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're going to get the location to
2: Zion. Like they have the location of Zion. They right. built Zion. Right. right, right. This also really just blown my mind. This whole podcast. I'm, I'm like, I've said that several <laughs> times. I'm, I'm being very sincere because I, I really like, this is obviously a movie. I think about a lot, have thought about mm-hmm. a lot, but I'm like, I feel like I'm seeing for the first time because of this conversation. This also is where the chat GBT AI stuff comes in That's because right. the, the seductive thing about ChatGPT is first of all that it, it understands language, and so it seduces you into thinking that there's a, like that there is an actual active consciousness there, and there might be mm-hmm. consciousness for some some definition, but it's not like the it's not how we understand it for ourselves. Right. But the other aspect of it is because it understands language, it's willing to hallucinate with you. Like one of the yes. things Matt referred to was, was this D and D bot, which like I was building because I was involved in this like multi day long running D Dungeons and Dragons campaign where I was having the bot hallucinate a universe uh, of like, you know, adventure and lore and world building, but it was really based on what I was asking it and what, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like I'm in the library. What books do you see? Or it's like, oh, like, let me tell you about the books. I'm like, oh, great. Like, what's the story of this guy? It's like, well, let me tell you the story of this guy. So it's this participatory hallucinated reality that is that that is like similar to the reason why the cinematic choices are the cinematic choices for Kung Fu whatever else is because the, the Wachowskis are saying, like, this is our hallucinated reality. This is. The, yes. this is the world that we wanted to create and show you, um, about like how artifice and fabrication can work and be seductive and allow you to create this reality. So th- that whole meta context that feels particularly uh, salient for the moment that we're in right now, technologically is just very exciting. Uh-huh.
3: We're learning through things like chat that, um, because it's, because it's based on like machine learning, right? Um, right right okay, so if you think about the ways in science fiction that um, artificial intelligence is portrayed, the way they try to draw that distinction is that they are devoid of a certain level of human emotion right mm-hmm, so you have mm-hmm. that from like even
4: Hal or you, whatever
3: like commander data even right data so this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, sure so this idea of, like there's some ineffable quality about human emotion or mm-hmm. love. love is explicitly mm-hmm. used in the matrix, but like love right. Is the thing. Oh, that was another genre that popped up in that movie, Fairy tale. She, she kisses him alive. It's amazing. Right, yeah.
2: right, 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 right. But, <laughs>
3: like, uh, but this idea of uh, right, that, right, that's right. the right. distinction. But the reality is kind of, in some ways, it's the inverse where the machines only learn what we show them. Uh Right. The more likely scenario is they will become superhuman in that aspect. They will be potentially more irrational. They will be potentially more emotional because that's Uh that's a maximization of what we can, we have input into them. The idea that they would be coldly clinical.
2: Yeah, I'm not it's sure counter that's to happen. what we're feeding them. Yeah, it's also I, it
1: seems like how how do we even establish I was thinking about this like ideally you would want to control the input more carefully of what you're giving these models, right? What we do now is we just say take the
2: whole internet and then figure out what to do. Well, that's not really what they do. But yeah, I mean like the, the, they they do control the inputs. Like the inputs are the inputs are yeah. like Pretty It's set, pretty broad set. though, right? It's Isn't broad, it? but like, I mean, like, the, like if you look at the corpuses, they're actually there, you can like look up the list of corp, anyway, it doesn't matter. There's a technical detail, but go, go on.
1: Will there, will there be, will there be like our corpus is, you know, is different. We're going to have, you know, uh, I, I tend to think about things politically
2: often, right? So, will there be progressive AIs versus conservative AI? Oh, that's already or, happening. Yeah, yeah. There's there's like an ad that I get on Twitter all the time. It's like we've got the we've got the non woke AI now. Like it's being built by yeah, like, exactly. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like th- this one, this one can use slurs or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like it's. Like, I mean, that's like a thing. <laughs> this that, one likes to use slurs. I I think that the point about like the the AIs being emotional is like also really interesting because it's like uh, I mean imagine like it's ingesting all this content. That's like parenting content of like, you need to name your feelings and you need to be able to Mm -hmm. distinguish between like all these different emotions, like happy, you know, angry versus grumpy and like all these like sort of very thin gradations of emotion. Like, of course, it's going to understand that. And of course, it's going to want to uh, perform that to us. Like, it's going to want to reflect that to us because that's how we, that's how we interact with the world is through this emotional lens. So I I think that's totally true.
3: if you look at the, the performative affect of, Uh, hugo weaving versus right keanu right right yeah and in in any given segment i i'd if if you if you showed clips to someone and then said and gave them no context and say one of these is a robot or a machine
2: right 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 yeah that's great and
3: and hugo weaving is he becomes this personification of obsessive rage there's nothing more human to me than that right? Yeah. Uh, and Keanu becomes like a saint, like he becomes yeah. angelic and he ascends
2: and he He's, yeah, self-sacrifices. Nothing bothers him. Yeah, yeah. Right. And That's so great. there's
3: this there's this question to me where it's like, and I think it is a beautiful question to examine. It's not like, I don't think there an answer is supplied, but it puts another, to me, it's one more layer of support for the idea that Even though the contest is set up between, quote unquote, humans and machines, we're really looking at biological versus digital beings. And that there's a case to be made that they're equally valid. And I think that's perhaps why it ends in a truce. You know.
1: Well, I and think. it's and it. This is another thing that we see in nature, right, where you have um, you know competing species driving each other to continue to evolve and mm-hmm. become better versions of themselves through that competition. Um, yeah. So there's a bit of that happening here as well.
2: Uh, the, yeah. On the obsessive rage being the the most human take, I think that's the human emotion. I think that's really interesting. I think it one of the most one of the most interesting little small Hugo weaving Agent Smith moments of the movie to me is where he's been so focused on beating the shit out of Morpheus and giving yes. him this whole theory of why humans suck and you're a piece of shit and we're gonna, I gotta get out of here, you stink. And the, all the physical stuff he does with with Fishburne where he's like rubbing his hand on his head and smelling the finger and all that weird stuff. I mean, it's very physical and visceral and weird. Mm-hmm. And he's like super mad. Um, And like, he's so mad that he doesn't have his earpiece in. And That's the right. other two agents come in or are like, Bro, what are you doing? We're getting <laughs> rocked downstairs. And he's like, what do you mean? And he like puts in the earpiece. He's like, oh shit. Like that, like, like that what moment. Are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, like that moment of where he like gets caught out, like sort of in his like in his spun-out, super obsessive mode by his other agents of like, my guy, we've got a job to do in this building, and you are going on some kind of adventure with this man. Um let me I tell you that.
3: though. You, you know, let me tell you though, you know where that seed was planted? It's an interrogation scene with Thomas Anderson. Yeah. A the scene comes mm-hmm. in from the surveillance camera. There's a very right. quick moment just before he seals his mouth off. Hugo Weaving looks uh, at the camera. He checks out that he's being surveilled uh, and it, and he's he's worried about it. He's worried about.
2: Wow, it. Wow, that's awesome. But did you
1: notice? Did you notice, that that surveillance looking at that screen? Mm-hmm. There were multiple screens. Multiple screens. This is, that's right. It's, right. The, architects, like it's the, architects right. the architects. It's the architects view. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah.
2: No, yeah. it is. It's it's the architect yeah, who's that's watching. The view. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So so one Holy of the questions shit.
3: about that is like again because we're we're watching it in this sort of you know in, in a, it's a film it's a linear time frame. We go into the architect, the conversation with the architect has all of these screens. And right. we're like, there's no reason these aren't running in parallel. Right. Uh, right. We're, yeah, yeah, And so if that's the case, you, again, oh, you, right, could make, right. you could make the call that this version of the story we're seeing is... An, Just uh, one. Not even that. It could be a pastiche. It could be right. multiple compounded upon each other. And we're seeing... Huh. Some selected view of all of them. This is again. I'm not saying that oh, that was wow, the intent wow, of the wow. filmmaker. It's wow. just the sort of possibility that's available to us <laughs> to interpret now, because of our broader general understanding, right? And um, yeah. of of how we think about certain concepts. But when Hugo yeah. even looked at that camera for a second, right? Later on, as you were saying, he takes out his earpiece, right? Yeah. He right. Doesn't say he doesn't say to Morpheus, "I hate you," mm-hmm. right? He says, "I hate this place." So yeah, he's yeah. he's not talking about these enemies. He's talking about prison.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: that's his main problem, and it's the same problem. Right. <laughs> it's the exact same right. problem. Like right. they're the ones keeping him here. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like we don't see where this entire movie is set within the construct of the power generation system,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and he's working to protect that system. We don't see the rest of the of the robot society. Um, you know, what, what those Until guys later doing.
3: when they go to the machine city. Right. But, or Neo. Goes yeah, to the yeah. Machine city. Right. But the uh-huh. idea that the idea that Smith is trying to keep his world alive and uh-huh. these terrorists are out to destroy it. Right. Right. right? Uh-huh. And, and destroy everybody else with it. When Neo is given the choice by the architect, he makes an incredibly selfish choice. Yeah. He uh-huh. chooses everyone might die because he's in love with training. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. the opposite of the Spock choice. In it's not the most noble choice,
3: but it is a very human choice. Like I get that, Um, but I don't feel like which is part of the experiment, right? Like that's right. Yeah, that's 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 why I think it's interesting. I think that's the way in which it's aged better. Is that Mm -hmm. these questions are more complex than they were upon first viewing. Upon first viewing, Mm -hmm. we're lensing it through a more traditional cinematic lens, and we're kind of saying, "This is how stories go," right? and Hmm. the hero chooses love and these sorts of things and now we're looking at it going like is this actually this is the opposite of altruism you know yeah
2: yeah yeah and you can almost see in that scene in the with the architect where he chooses love the architect's just like oh this fucking trope like you're gonna gonna choose you're gonna find like you're the version that's gonna choose love Mm -hmm. like as that's like a story imperative that you have Fine, we'll do it this way. Um, yeah. Like, I, I I love that read on it. It makes me really want to rewatch the second one now. Like, also, like, the scenes with, like, the Chancellor where they're looking at, like, the the equipment in Zion. Fantastic. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, this is, like, another guy who's, like, trying to impose his, like, uh, his articulation of reality mm-hmm. on us through, you know, as Neo as a proxy for us. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, like, sort of, and there's parts of it that you, like, get. And there's parts of it that you want to reject. Um,
1: that's mm-hmm. great. Also yeah. it, in Zion, we have the, in, in reloaded, you have the introduction of like their private cloud server, um, matrix yeah, that yeah, they yeah. run right where, where the controllers yeah. are plugged in, in the, in the hollow environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: like, you know, like uh, our homeboy Cypher should have just gone to Zion and, you know, yeah, eat, yeah, and be, like, eaten steaks in, there. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, put me in the... That restaurant <laughs> looks really good. I just want to go back to that for a minute. But the restaurant, I mean, I'm, I might be because I'm hungry also, but like it, that restaurant looks great. Um, the Merovingian's place looks great. They have great restaurants in the Matrix.
1: Yeah, we're definitely going to do Reloaded. That that Unlimited
2: uh, Michelin stars in the Matrix. <laughs> 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 they definitely make their own butter.
3: Yeah, it was in interesting restaurant. that like, they introduce the idea of like a rogue program and then suddenly you meet a bunch of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. That, that, like Smith is kind of a rogue program, but then mm-hmm. the my so is as well. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. He maker kind of is like, like uh-huh. who, how many are there? The you know, werewolves like ma- and the ghosts the and were- like all of them. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, like um, the and then you kind of go, well then, you know, is that's, is that the Oracle as well? Like there are just yeah. so many that start to emerge and you kind of go, all right. So, then what are we actually talking about like is this the emergence of a hybrid race what is this yeah
2: and it's totally consistent with your thesis which is that everyone realizes in their own way that regardless if you're in the matrix or not that it's that reality is constructed and some rules can be followed and some rules can be bent and some rules can be broken Mm and i'm gonna like come up with my own interpretation of it and my interpretation of it is going to be like you know the white dreadlock guy like or whatever you know like i'm like gonna i'm gonna bust out of whatever like was was required of me i'm gonna i'm going to adopt some of the narrative requirements like i play this role of the monster but i've got my own thing going on as well well you Um, know like
3: uh in in some of the um god what is it called the future foundation um some of the stuff that like max Max techmark has written about for example right and they're talking about the dangers of ai and how when we talk about, say, general AI, we use as a really rough classification, an AI that could theoretically do anything a human could do, right, roughly. Mm-hmm. But the process of that is not necessarily specified. So if you get an AI that can convince a human to do something, they can technically do something a human can do. They're just using a human as a proxy to do it, right? Yeah, they right, to do right. It themselves. And that just means they have to be convincing or that they have to be high aware enough Of a person's incentives and motivation to get that person to do something. Um, Yeah. So, if you look at that as a as a potential ground level definition, right? One of the other things that they talk about is sort of the idea that one of the first life imperatives is you replicate yourself. So the first thing that an AI would do is make sure that it can be in some it can replicate itself somewhere else so as to survive and continue its mission. One of the things they talk about, which is really interesting, is the idea that a strategy potentially to limit the damage an AI could do is to spawn multiple AIs that work in contest with each other. So they are policing themselves, like one AI Uh. is working against another AI in order to sort of limit the amount of power a a, a singular quote-unquote entity could develop. And you kind of go, okay... So with that information as something that people are actually theorizing now, how do we look at the matrix then? Right? Mm-hmm. Is this is this an internal struggle that the mat- that the matrix develops for itself to mm-hmm. make sure it can police itself, you know? Well, Leo that's the oracle and the and architect, right? Yeah but, yeah, but but also the oracle, right? So yeah. these two yeah. these two poles of, mm-hmm. yeah. which are broadly categorized as intellectual and empathetic, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, but, right, right.
3: But also predeterminism and choice. That, the, yeah. That's the other sort of uh, tick-tock of them. But mm. over the course of the story, Neo becomes closer and closer to machines
2: mm-hmm. and further
3: and further away from humans. And Smith mm-hmm. becomes closer and closer to humans, mm-hmm. right? Even though their affects are slightly different. Neo remains yeah. a contiguous individual person. Smith spawns himself over and over and over again. But by his He own, becomes more
2: emotional, Neo becomes
3: less may, emotional. Less yeah. em- well, not less emotional, but more expressive. He starts to think, he starts to think less about himself. He starts to right, think right, right. In, in a broader way, right? He right. becomes mm. kind of quasi-religious in that way. But
0: mm-hmm. Smith,
3: by his own definition of viral of a viral comparison to humans, becomes more human as well. But even though yeah, he's yeah, technically yeah. replicating himself. So you kind of go, these things begin to migrate towards each other, these two poles that you establish as as the the yin and the yang and the the enemies yeah story, they start to migrate more towards each other right yeah towards the middle and so it's it's interesting because i feel like that probably that wasn't necessarily on the agenda when the first movie was made right, but right. by the right. third movie it's changed. yeah yeah like, it's the point yeah like, yeah
2: i wonder about that too i because i had this it's so funny you mentioned this because i had this note when i watched this movie like it was basically just like the yin yang is a really good idea like whoever mm. came up with that was a really good idea mm. because like, this idea that like there are opposites but like you know the 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 opposite is contained within itself like it's like mm. just such a profound thing to be able to express graphically yeah. it was like all-timer all-timer in the human race like coming up yeah. <laughs> um, and like that idea is like what you're talking about it was like yes like they are they they are presented there are these ideas that are presented as diet you know as like diametric opposites but in reality they contain the opposites within them but yeah. it's only in the unveiling of the uh, it's only in the unveiling of all of the movies that you really kind of get to see that you get hints of it here so it does i think i have the same question i was like how much do we know where we were going on this thing this is i as a meta point sort of the same thing of like do you know when a thing is working one of our big questions like we Mm -hmm. always talk about when we talk about franchise fiction was like do they have a plan? Do they know where this thing, do we, do they know where this thing ends up? Like, is there an endpoint, or are they just like finding it along the way? And there's so many stories like of them just finding along the way. We just did close encounters last, last week. And Spielberg was finding the third act of that movie, like on the day, like it was like, you know, that, like they were, that was not. And it's like one of the most important, canonically brilliant science fiction, like acts in cinema history. Um, So sometimes you just get lucky and you find a miracle. Here, I do wonder like thematically if they knew where they were going with this or if they found it along the way. It felt to me like they clearly had some good vision um, more
1: broadly when they were making the first Matrix. For me, the wheels fell off a little bit. I I love Reloaded on the exact same level as the original Matrix. And then Mm -hmm. for me, Revolutions was a big fall off. But they were simultaneously making Reloaded, and Revolutions, and the video game, which was awesome, mm. I played that on Xbox 360. But it was like 30 or 40 hours of content that they produced, video content with all the actors doing that stuff. And I just feel it's very difficult to maintain the, the focus um, when you're trying to go that broad, that fast. Yeah. So that's where I thought that, that lost it a little bit.
3: There's also so many, there's so many voices involved. And the more successful Mm. a property becomes, the more Mm. tightly people hold on to it because they don't want to kill the golden goose, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that um, it would be impossible to know. Uh, But I I will say like in general, and having worked in the industry for a little while now, um, a metaphor that might make sense is sort of like when you think about like fine dining or a restaurant, like there are recipes but they're informed mm-hmm. by the freshness of the ingredients. And the the change that can happen sort of last minute is people right. bringing their sort of fresh ingredients to the table, things that they're going through right. personally, things they've just absorbed. And mm-hmm. I think that there's real value to that. I think that that can sometimes give it an energy and a life that it might not have otherwise possessed. So I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. Um, I think it's something that uh, sort of may need to happen in order for some... Uh, an, A story to feel alive um Mm. you can plan it within an inch of its life and doesn't mean it'll be successful
2: that's great and i also think it speaks to like how important it is to be thoughtful in the scaffolding of the thing you're creating so you invite you know you invite that kind of uh discovery and invite people to bring their own ingredients to the recipe and invite like sort of you know like uh, the possibility to discover something along the way as long as it's within like as long as there's like some kind of frame around the uh, around the thing to begin with. This is what yeah. Denis
1: has talked about uh, with Deacons. Like they would yeah. obsessively prep, storyboard the shit out of everything. That and then show up on the day completely ready. And then they can set all that aside and see what happens and yeah. know that they can always fall back and do that thing. Uh, he seems particularly
2: ready. good at doing it. Cause he has like, he obviously is obsessive on all of the details, but like everyone loves working with him, and all of his collaborators are just like this. I felt like so seen and like so able to like mm-hmm. influence how this thing was working. So uh, there's just some people I think who are good marshallers of creative energy in the world. And- uh, a, is
1: Timmy going to come back for The Matrix? Is that what's going to happen?
2: <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> what were you going
3: to say? Mean, <laughs> one time, uh, uh, someone, I forget who did that. Someone described the job of like a CEO, for example. They they said, um, mm-hmm. the primary responsibility of the CEO are to uh, raise money, most like clearly communicate the messaging of the company and mm-hmm. to find and retain the best talent. Yeah, And I think that like ultimately great producers great directors do that they right they right are able to give you the vision of the, the film or the television show they staff it well you know uh-huh. with people that are really going to do the best work and then they secure enough funding to do it properly you know yeah uh-huh. and so i think that part of that that portion of it which is about retaining talent and and um finding the best talent so much of that is predicated on uh making those people feel valuable and honoring their contributions because no one really does this job um because it makes sense no one does this job for pragmatic reasons so that that is uh, of outsized importance to people who work in this industry like that you feel Mm. that you are able to contribute creatively it has to be you have to pay attention to that if you're going to lead people
2: in this field and yeah, make them want to work with you. This goes back to your same thing, which you've talked about all along, which is if you're good at doing that, if you're good at like soliciting that participation, you are doing the thing that is the central project in the matrix as well, which is allowing mm-hmm. people to find out what rules can be bent and what rules can be broken and like to use like their own artistic impulse to create a reality that is not true reality for like for anyone else, but is as true as any other um and like that is the participatory process of this like hallucinated reality that we all exist in outside of the context of filmmaking as well yeah, mm. there's a way
3: to there's a way to look at the the story of the matrix as the their largest training program they talk about training right. programs immediately from the beginning and those right. are indistinguishable from the matrix you, the, he's in the crowd he sees the woman in the red dress he's doing combat he says this is a training simulation it has the same rules it has gravity so clearly they're able to do this at a local level apparently
2: right yeah, yeah right
3: yeah. so you're yeah. kind of like all right well is this whole situation a training program for humanity yeah. to figure yeah. out how to better themselves how to yeah you know there's a there's no better quote-unquote other yeah than artificial intelligence it tests right. every aspect of what we have to question ethically mm-hmm. because it's not people yeah right so if we can treat so for example in a gradient of like what would be your ethical concerns for cruelty humans over here animals Mm -hmm. machines right Mm yeah machines can't feel right if that's your position then you don't have to have an ethical concern right Mm -hmm. but what if they (laughs) can't right Right. there's there's this way to interpret this whole thing as like how do we become better humans? And it's like the ultimate training program to do that because the, the
1: oracle. I, the oracle cares about Neo, obviously, right? Like she, right. she does take a, more a, close a,
3: enough that we we, we feel it, the, facts yeah. many of it. Yeah. Or yeah. he certainly does, which is arguably the more important point.
1: Right? But let me let me just ask really quick because I want to. I I do want to hit. Um, can we just talk about Keanu in this yes, role and good. like and and the performance that that he gives? Like he had already. I mean, I remember him when I was in college in 88 or 89, seeing River's Edge with mm, him mm-hmm. and um, and what's his name, uh, George McFly, um, and just being blown away, oh, in my own private Idaho with River yeah, Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and so he was like this indie darling, then he does Speed and Point Break mm-hmm. kind of back to back, and he becomes this big action star, but there's something very different about what he's doing in this film that is so iconic and also just, just really special um, and unique in my mind.
3: I also really like that. I mean, it's one of those things that kind of flies beneath the radar. And I think to his credit, Keanu's even spoken to this uh, in interviews, but, um, you know, he is part Asian and mm-hmm. it's not something that he, he. I think he, based on what I've read, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, obviously, but he, I think, is acknowledges that and, you know, is proud of it. But he hmm. also recognizes, I think, that maybe because he can pass right he doesn't feel like he makes claims on certain things right Um, and uh but one of the reasons why that's important to someone like me growing up and looking at this industry is like if you do look at a property like star wars that uh obviously is referencing asian culture so heavily in the central class of the jedi right um there it's it's shocking how few Asians are in that story and in the yeah, universe. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, to especially
1: have, given George's connection with Japan, right? His obsession with Kurosawa. That's what and, I
3: mean. Yeah. Like that, that, That's all over the place. Right. Um, and in in a similar way, uh, you know, you could raise a little bit of that flag with the Matrix, but even as early, like right in the second picture. There's so many more people of color. There's so many, like, there's so much, like, diversity for that time that comes out there. And it, it, again, leads me to think that there's a, uh, the the sort of personal concerns of the filmmakers is emerging as, you know, into their work, you know, into the way they want to show the world of the future and quote, Mm. unquote, the real world. That's very interesting to me that the real world is populated by people of color. Mm-hmm. um people with diverse looks and backgrounds etc
1: i thought that was really that that stuck out to me as as this trilogy as a whole like i, I thought that was an important aspect of it um and and central heroic similar to warrior right having yeah, having yeah. having people in all of the roles not not in a in a specific position to
2: role. the to the keanu-ness of it i think it just took us a long time as a film going public to kind of understand how actually subtle Keanu is as an actor and that like what he's and that the fact that he was in bill and Ted is not indicative of like sort of you know the the full range that he brings to bear and that he actually is able to do like this this very interesting thing um of being of being charismatic uh and compelling but while also being like at a distance and a remove in some way like he he that's interesting
3: that's interesting I, I, I feel like the thing that I respond to most about him is that I, I think that his, his sort of native humanity always shines yes through. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, it, it's the sort of thing that, um, it's impossible to quantify, uh, yeah. but it. It creates a sort of resonance that I, I find very compelling.
1: He's he's totally present uh, in every moment, right? Like he is—he's showing the fear, he's showing uh, confusion, excitement, um, o- loyalty, uh, bravery, and love. Um, and he—you believe every state that he's in um, at every moment.
3: Also, I mean, I—it's th- I, interesting, Bill and Ted, yeah. From a from a film perspective, if you're like um, casting or you're concerned about typecasting, what have you, but. As an audience member and as a, as a as an actor as well, that gives me a huge amount of comfort that he can do quite a wide range of things because right. it's very hard to do comedy. Yeah, um, of course. Right, but he can really do comedy. You know, yeah. he can really do it.
1: I, yeah. I just want to call out one of the reasons why I love this movie because Jason and we've talked about it. Like, why don't I like um, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger lines in these science fiction movies? This is the example of what I think is perfect. Mm. It is completely. Um, serious and earnest and has lots of hilarious moments, has Mm -hmm. real humor that permeates the whole thing, but it's always played straight um, and it's always earnest. And I will forever love this film for that reason.
3: Yeah. 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 There's Total Recall. There's um, Terminator and they, they still feel like action movies to me. Right. More than they feel like sci-fi movies. Yeah. 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 And the only distinction I would make there is what is sort of at the center of it. Is right. the center of it a question, or is the center of it a, a series of, of event and events? Events. Yeah, uh,
4: that's great. Yeah. You know, yeah. And yeah. Uh,
3: no. To me, like the Matrix is really like it has so much action. The yeah. amount of philosophical or ethical questioning that has to be present as well to make it feel like sci-fi, it has to yeah. be proportionately massive. Which I think it does, um, because there's so much action. There were so many fights I didn't remember seeing.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know. I, so I do want to hone in on this for just a second. So Yuan Wu Ping, um, brought yeah. in to do the the wire work uh, for the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. After four months of training, Yuan was optimistic, but then began to worry when he realized how quote unfit the actors were. <laughs> also, Keanu underwent a two level fusion of his cervical neck oh, spine right. due to yeah. a spinal cord compression from a herniated disc before production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is why Keanu does not do very many kicks, although he does some fucking amazing kicks uh, yeah. in in this uh, in the course of this movie. Um, but that dojo battle, um, you know, we talked about it before. This was my um, you know home theater tryout
0: uh, mm. thing
1: for a long time. This on the real. roof. Yeah. Um, it's just it is so. I, I don't think it's been matched. I don't think this fight scene has been matched by yeah, it's anyone. It's
2: really strong. It's I, really strong.
3: I think that it's, um, you know, like, so for Warrior, the guys that really fight in the show, I mean, they they prepare so much. They mm. they really are, um, you know, my hat's off to them. The level of preparation is intense. Andrew Koji, who plays our mm. lead is yeah. um, a machine. And yeah. It, it, it is an interesting thing, though, because you, we work with a stunt team, and these people have dedicated their lives to their physical training and their, yeah. their martial arts training, et cetera, and you you realize how many years it takes to really achieve mastery. Like we we really only have to pull it off once. I say <laughs> that very loosely. I don't really <laughs> do any of it. But like, you know, you have to kind of pull it off good enough for camera once. Mm-hmm. These guys are tasked with doing it over and over and over again.
1: Until it's perfect, yeah. yeah
3: until it's perfect. And Jesus. Um, so there's a there's a level of respect I have for them, um, which does nothing to diminish the level of respect I'd have for like Lawrence Fishburne or, or Keanu for the amount of training they had to do in order to not just appear competent, but to, to appear masterful. Um,
1: the whole like Keanu, like the the side, the side punch or side uh, <laughs> chop,
3: uh-huh. amazing. Like that. Uh, there's uh, a, I mean, there's so many ways that, that, I mean, again, it's a collaborative thing. The really impressive part of the fight to me, because of like, you know, once you've seen the inside of it is mm-hmm. they, they're on their faces so much. You can't fake that, you can't fake. Until they do a fully CGI and reload it, I think, right? They, mm-hmm. they went full CGI mm-hmm. fight. But yep. the idea of um, you know, being on their face so much so they would have to do the action um, yeah. in order to to sell it. That that tells you a lot about the level of preparation that was required. And Keanu, from that point forward through the John Wick movies is is sort of legendary for his work ethic, um physical yeah. work ethic, especially yeah.
2: I think the thing you said about like we resonate with like we like Yano because we get a sense that he's just like a good guy and like in Mm. every interview and every story like seems like he's amazing there's all these like kind of ridiculous things that happen where you like rents a van to get people from the airport or whatever there's mm. one that just happened yesterday mm-hmm. where like it was like he there's this video of him like carrying gear like camera gear on the set of john wick like up a flight of stairs like help the crew like move stuff up and there was like this pushback it was like oh is that remarkable like obviously you just help if you're like around to help and like some guy was like who like works in movies was, like i was fired off of like you know, a Mike Myers movie for looking him in the eyes once, and I was the bodyguard. Like it is, <laughs> uh, it is not the case that stars of a movie of a franchise movie move shit like on uh, like to help out the crew. Like, let me
3: tell you too. The interesting thing about it is, you are not supposed to carry that stuff, right? right? Yeah, it was like a union, union rules. Yeah. So, oh wow. So, if you're like if you're someone at his level. No one's going to say anything, probably. Right. 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 So, by which I mean, it doesn't, it, I don't mean to put that forth it, to diminish it. I actually mean to yeah. put it forth to augment it because right. he has every excuse to not do it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. There's plenty of actual reasons for you to say, I shouldn't right. do that. Right. So, if he was doing that, chances are he felt it was required. Yeah. You know? Either they were trying to make a day or yeah. they were, yeah. Know, or, yeah he was like the closest guy to it and someone needed help, whatever it might be. And that to me is like, that's how it should be. That's that's how it should be. And so I don't look at that as like, it's, it's as remarkable and unremarkable as simply saying, this is a person that that seems aligned with the sort of values that I, I hold. And I feel like a lot of us hold actually. And there's something really great about that. There's something, you know, you want to cheer for someone that you feel does those things. Um, and is known for it, and doesn't get in trouble. You know, yeah, he, he has, yeah, a, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. someone who's worked as get long as he has,
2: yeah, there's, there's all these photos of him taking photos with fans, and he's like not touching anyone. He's like, oh, he's right, like respectful. Like he's like, but he's like not gonna like you know put hands on anyone. Yeah. Like he's 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 very conscious of like sort of how he interacts with the broader world, which is why we need to train the AI models off of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe that is the, maybe that's the project in the matrix. Maybe <laughs> that's, that's what, what that's the matrix is actually doing. Like, we found this one guy, his name's Keanu. We're going to create this whole movie around like, you know, having a cheat <laughs> That doesn't matter. We just need to understand what makes this guy tick. And we're going to like give, create some adversarial situations, like kind of reveal humanity to us. You know, oh, everyone, wow.
3: everyone at a certain level, like I'm, I'm not at that level. So, you know,
2: uh,
3: grain of salt, but like yeah. from what I've seen, there's only a couple of degrees of separation between Mm -hmm. most people at some point. And like, you know, when you get a person who just no one has a bad word to say, Mm -hmm. um, it's wild. That's that's great. No, I mean, again, it's as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 It's it's uh, but it's, it's a, it's something that gives it warms my heart because you kind of go, there are a lot of people out there doing it right. And, you know, you hope that at some point you'll, you'll be, you know, matched up with them and you'll work on some project together and it's yeah. a good time, you know? Well,
1: I will tell you, there's only one person that we love as much as Keanu Reeves on this podcast and that is Tilda Swinton.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. Hoon, who would
1: Tilda Swinton play in The Matrix?
4: So
3: <laughs> my first thought was Morpheus.
1: Obviously. That was my yep, too. Of course. Of but, course. But yes.
3: I would kind of love to see her play Neo. Whoa. Oh Yes, I love this. I love this. After
2: the, the Keanu Reeves is the key to the whole thing, we're going to put here's, here's the
3: reason why. Here's the reason why. Especially now. There's something interesting to me about the idea that someone could awaken out of the Matrix yeah. later in their life. Yes. Um, that this is something that, I mean, we're dealing with a world that is is aging internationally, yeah. right? There are more people getting older they're dealing with midlife crises earlier. Right. Right. Some of the aspects of the matrix, this idea that you are bound and that there is a way out and that there is a, um, there's a way to rewrite the rules that speaks to middle age very strongly. I think. And the idea of reinvention and that in the reinvention of yourself, you reinvent the world. Mm. Right. And that's, those are the sorts of ideas that I think, um an older actor can bring to bear with a lot That's of great. authority
4: wow and
3: that um she in particular can bring to bear because she seems like she's between worlds anyway all the time yeah <laughs> <exactly>. right <laughs> yeah um so i i i initially thought more like there are so many low-hanging fruit for her in this show. totally in the cipher
2: show. yeah i mean everybody i yeah. mean
3: almost anybody yeah right? it's
2: it, it's unusual the degree to which she could play almost any role in this movie like, well it, you know
3: it, I, I mean i kind of i i will say that i do feel that about quite a broad range of actors one of the, mm-hmm. one of the things to get back to sec- for a quick second like um about writing warrior yeah one of the reasons why it was exciting to me was because as a cast member you're privy to the people in a way that you aren't as a writer or producer right and also partially because of that that hierarchy right like there's yeah. a there's just a level of formality that sometimes exists and that's mm. natural but i knew what these guys could do Right. I knew that most actors that I know and respect are using 25% of what they can Interesting.
2: do. Interesting. Wow. Um, for, for
3: most of their careers, I'd say. You know, maybe 50% of what they can do. It's very rare that someone is allowed to show everything they can do. Yeah, for sure. So you kind of, as, an, as a writer, it's sort of like uh, I was thinking about my friends and thinking about I would like to tease out this thing I know that they'll crush, you know, because they may they, because, not because they won't be given that opportunity ever, but because I know that they can do it, mm. you know, like, and it would excite me to see them do it. So um, while I have huge amounts of respect for all of the actors out there that are given that opportunity and, and display yeah. that quality pretty readily, um, I do think it's more common than people would anticipate. Um, but Tilda Swinton in particular, you know, when you think about a world of like altered realities, science fiction, like, it's such a natural fit yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. For, her,
3: for the qualities <laughs> yeah. that she she can bring to bear without even trying. Um, yeah. But then I, when I did think about her being, yeah, like, this would be a really interesting story to see someone bust out of the Matrix at a different stage, someone who is a I woman. love that. Yeah. You know, like, what would her perspective be in engaging with this new reality?
1: Yeah. Amazing. I love it. So, I love yeah. it hoon so tell us about when is Warrior going to be back uh, and streaming on HBO Max there
3: is no official announcement as of yet okay um- I anticipate it will be. It has to be sometime this year, I would Mm. think. But I'm not exactly sure uh, when.
1: But the first two seasons of Warrior are available now to stream on HBO Max. It's really phenomenal. The production quality, the production design, cinematography, the stunts, the fights, and the acting are all really incredible. Also in San
2: Francisco, which I'm excited about. Yeah. That's right. Was a San Francisco resident,
1: and then uh, folks, you heard us talk a lot about Banshee in the middle, and I would just recommend Banshee four seasons yes. also streaming, uh, if you want to see like crazy, sex and violence and and <laughs> humans like interacting with each other uh, in a really in a really powerful and uh, you know just a lot of heart to it. Um, I highly recommend you check out Banshee. It's a it's a, a really really great show and a great journey for the characters. Hoon, thank you so much for thank joining so us.
2: This thank was great. you, guys. This was delightful. Really, helped, really one the of chat. my favorite episodes.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you <laughs> hear it. Thank you. Yeah. I really had a good time. Thank you.
1: I, I can't wait to hear all the deep philosophical thoughts about the Three Musketeers. So, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get
3: there. <laughs> Just you wait.
4: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy shit! How about Hoon Lee? He's he's one of the best guests we've ever had. Like and like you just never know if you're going to have like you like he's just incredibly thoughtful. He's so good. He's the best. It was wild.
1: It like the the levels of insight that were happening Yeah. Uh, were just resonating.
2: I love being able to talk to people. The best thing about podcasting is when you find a person who loves a thing and they're able to talk about their love of the thing Mm -hmm. um from this like very considered informed standpoint they have a theory of why they love it and what's compelling about it and like you know i just love that like i I just think it's great Mm. and like sometimes like that's us um as like the ones who are you know sort of giving that um level of you know information we love the thing or whatever but it's it's amazing when like it's amazing when it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be us you know when like someone else is like no i actually i i have this completely like (laughs)
1: well thought out well
2: thought out theory of why this is, and like and for it to be something about like the matrix which is obviously a ridiculously analyzed considered movie we've talked about it obliquely a number of times we've listened to podcasts about it our friends have covered it obviously everyone's talked about it and for that to be something where like literally like i was like i'd never considered this before like this is a completely (laughs) new perspective on this movie that i've thought about a lot and that the world has thought about a lot is pretty remarkable amazing guy
1: but my bravery on not stepping through the movie like,
2: yeah, like, I, I was gross. the only part of the podcast that was like really anxiety inducing was I could feel your mind melting as we were not <laughs> stepping through your 28 page outline with your 42 <laughs> like different samples that you had selected. And I could tell. That you were, that you were, you were really going through your own. It was like the end of, at the end of the movie where uh-huh. Neo jumps into Agent Smith, and the little uh-huh. and the little <laughs> bubbles start to like percolate up, and on they like forehead. travel up his hands and go into his forehead. That's what you look like on the yeah. riverside. <laughs> I could see, the, I could see the bubbles <laughs> percolating oh up your arms and split your skull apart.
1: <laughs> ah, it was too good. It was too good. Uh, I loved it. Hoon, anytime.
2: Anytime.
1: Any, anytime. Well, what do you say? Should we do some letters?
2: Let's do some letters and apologies to our letter writers uh, that we didn't have. Uh, we spent so much time in the main segment that we could not uh, keep Hoon for the for the letters segment.
1: Yes. Yes. And for as a programming
2: s- note, did you see Silly's note? Silly has a letter. Also, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yes, we will do that in one second. Right after. The truth sayer. Yes. All right, here we go.
6: All right, Biria here. It's time for The Matrix Truth Saying. Clearly the best actor in The Matrix is Joey Pantoliano. Mm. Yeah. There's three stories about Joey Pants. Two are false. One is true. Joey Pants Now, Number one, Joe's parents, Dominic and Mary, owned and operated a tailoring business in Hoboken, New Jersey, where they routinely altered pants. (laughs) Number two, in the climactic scene of Risky (laughs) Business where Joe playing Guido the pimp, yeah, yeah. sells Tom Cruise all of his belongings back. Joey tosses an expensive vase to Tom, and the vase broke and gave Tom a big scar on his forearm that he still has today. Interesting. And number three, during his tenure on The Sopranos, for which he won an Emmy, Joey Pants struggled to stay anonymous in New Jersey where they were filming. So to avoid being recognized by fans, he wore a wig based on the hairstyle of Christopher Nolan, with whom he had just worked in Momento. Which
2: oh. one of those stories is true? Oh man, I think pants pants is so good.
1: I um, love that.
2: I love pants as pants. I just want pants as pants to be true, so I'm going number one.
1: All right, I'm going with number two. I'm going with a scar.
2: I think uh, the least likely is number three, so I'll be I'll be amazed if it's number three. All right, here we go. So, which one of those three stories is true? The true story here is number three.
6: They oh, my God. Christopher Nolan Damn. style wig to wear around New Jersey. What? To remain anonymous while they were filming The Sopranos. This here is the ends the truth best. saying.
1: Holy shit. This is the shit. best
2: podcast segment of all time. Like, How is this possible? People <laughs> wish they had this kind of content for a whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we got got, though. It's great. We got got. All right. Our second
1: uh, voicemail.
4: Hey guys, Kev here. Wow, what a show. Finally covering one of the biggest films in the Dune Pod canon, the Wachowski's post apocalyptic cyberpunk, brain and vat, kung fu, hero's journey, The Matrix. Mm. And of course, for a great movie, we have to have a great guest, and who better than the great Hoon Lee? Mr. Lee, we loved you as Toad on C, and you are just fantastic yes. as the voice of Master Splinter as well. So excited mm. to hear you on the show. Kev's question Joey Pants knows this steak doesn't exist. <laughs> He knows that when he puts it in his mouth, the Matrix (laughs) is telling his brain that it is juicy and delicious. (laughs) If the agents had to bribe you with the taste of one food, any food, what would it be? What would make you realize after nine years that ignorance is bliss? That's a great question. Thanks always, guys. Much love to the editing team. Peace and love. And I'll talk to you soon.
2: That's a great question. Once again, it's Kev's questions. Kev crushing it. That's hard, though. I, it's hard because literally 20 different foods would would be sufficient to get me to turn on my friends. Like and it would be so, it's, it's I'm so hungry, so hungry, right, hungry now. right now that like literally, literally anything would work. A silly just said in chat, craft macaroni and cheese. And like, I will say like a particular like deep flavor for me is Velveeta shells and cheese that has been uh, put in the fridge. To congeal mm. overnight and then oh, it's yeah. eaten cold the next day yes. out of the storage container. Um, that is a real. I would just. I would make in in my broke college days. I would make shells and cheese, uh, and then just store it in the fridge right away and not even eat a bite of it because I just Whoa. wanted it cold. Uh, I just <laughs> wanted it cold out of the fridge. Um, Incredible. So I'm going with that. It sounds delicious. I would eat the whole fucking package right now.
1: Oh my god, I miss desperately the little chihuahua, um, and so like I would like for me it would be one of their burritos um, with all three of their incredible sauces, uh, and include <laughs> not even including the other two sauces that they have. Um, but that that's like my dream. I'm missing it so much.
2: Fried chicken is another good is Ooh. like another good option. Uh, I feel in the same. Kind of area like a nice bagel with locks, may wow. probably like a salt bagel with really fresh locks, like a Russ and Daughters spread. I would oh kill my. for like a chocolate babka <laughs> from Russ and Daughters. <laughs> Jesus.
1: You're really, you're really food focused. I'm hungry. All right, we're gonna make it. Uh silly sends us a letter. It says Dune Pod Matrix Letter. Really excited about this week's conversation. At the top, I wanted to welcome Hoon Lee to yes. the Dune Pod family. We watched a lot of his shows in the Chuckle Hut in the lead up to past episodes, and the one I have really stuck with and loved is Warrior. As a longtime fan of Hong Kong action and martial arts cinema, and more recently the Indonesian action cinema, born of films like The Raid, it's been a joy to watch such a rich show that draws deeply from that tradition, but is also uniquely American. The cast is amazing and love seeing the incredible Joe Taslim in more stuff. Wang Chao's Such a fascinating, complex character who sits masterfully at the intersection of the show's various factions and conflicts. It's a character that reminds me of Littlefinger or Spider in terms of bringing layers and subtext to a character's dialogue and performance and being the smartest one in the room. The Matrix was such a landmark film for me growing up. I was 15 and saw it four times in theaters, including dragging my dad to see it again in NYC while we were on vacation. We'd never seen anything like it before. It brought to life the -the over-the-top anime action I'd seen, as well as martial arts and wire work from martial arts and wuxia movies I had watched with my dad growing up. It was the first DVD we owned, and I even convinced my dad to buy a DVD player so we could have it. I bought a fossil watch with the Matrix code. I bought a long black trench coat, which sadly, after Columbine, I couldn't wear anymore. But it was such a formative movie and cultural moment to live through. Mm -hmm. Jason... Uh, just speaking of this, the feeling, uh, the feeling that we got, and that kind of connection, when you saw this and heard this in the theater, that click, that that phone, the Nokia eighty one ten, yeah, you couldn't get it.
2: Oh yeah, that's a good. I phone. was dying, couldn't get it. Switchblade phone. Oh man, that was
1: a classic. Really also, phone. Also, as previously stated, I H owned. The Matrix trilogy on HD DVD uh, mm-hmm. for my Xbox One uh, or 360. Mm. All right. It also really highlighted mm. Keanu's dedication to his craft and really learning the choreography and the stunts and molding himself into an action star that continues to his, to this day in the incredible John Wick franchise. It makes such a difference to be able to follow the action and see the star themselves doing the action, especially from someone who did not come originally from martial arts. Major props to him and the whole cast who really showed up to make the action look great and believable and have it all filmed in a way that felt so fresh and revolutionary. I think The Matrix also highlights the cost and challenge of resisting oppression. It's more comfortable to be blissfully plugged into life, unaware of the realities and oppressive structures around you. It can be painful and uncomfortable to become woke to the reality and systems of exploitation around you. Holy shit. Mm. Is
2: that where that is... Is woke from the Matrix? No, 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 no. Woke is from woke is from black culture for going back decades. It is not it is not from the Matrix. <laughs>
1: dune pod retracts that previous statement <laughs> by, by H. it is also relevant as rewatch for our current climate as a trans allegory and the disconnect between someone's perceived self versus their authentic self and that the character of switch was originally supposed to be one gender inside the matrix and another in the real world anyway love the movie you all see you in the chuckle hut
2: woo silly, silly. silly's really doing a
1: great job <laughs> Thanks
2: buddy. Love the silly reel. I love, uh, I love getting the silly letters. Like I love the silly skits also, obviously, but the silly letters are like so well considered and well written. Uh, mm. it's nice to hear his thoughts and mm-hmm. he's been doing a bang up job, uh, projectioning for us. So we're really grateful for all the time he gives us.
1: Incredible. Thank you, silly. And go
4: go Oh shit. here we go.
5: Tupod, hey, this is Corey calling from Austin, Texas, about 1999 science fiction masterpiece, The Matrix. (laughs) Man, I was resistant to The Matrix when it was coming out. I don't know why. I don't even remember why. I kind of didn't want to see it. And then I had a buddy who talked me into it and driving to the theater to see it, and I was quickly converted to, wow, this is one of the most awesome sci-fi movies i would ever seen. I can't say i revisited Austin. Um... So I have decent memories of it, and I did not watch the sequels. Um, and I maybe watched the Animatrix, but I don't really remember. So obviously not a big, like, thing that I cared about. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's really nothing I can say about this. It's pretty awesome. I want to say it's been ripped off so much. I think that's why I never revisited it, right? Because everyone was, like, copying the all the cool shit that the Matrix did for the longest time. I want to say my favorite copy of the matrix is in the very beginning of Three Thousand miles i think or 300 miles to graceland i think it's 300 miles to graceland Hmm. with kurt russell and um kevin costner uh there's an opening sequence of that the the title sequence of the credit and there's these two scorpions Hmm. matrix fighting it's totally cgi i probably brought this up on a previous voicemail because i love it so much definitely not but anyway um check it out just the beginning that movie is not for everyone the Matrix maybe, but uh, the grayside <laughs> movie is not. But anyway, all right, I babbled long enough. Who would Tilda Swinton play? She could play any one of these fucking roles, and I've been going back and forth between
0: mm-hmm.
5: Smith, Agent Smith, and Morpheus, and I think I finally settled on Morpheus. I think that would be the mm. right way to go for mm. Tilda. All right, I can't wait to hear what you guys pick. Who you pick? Who are you guys going to pick for Tilda? I'm so excited. All right, <laughs> an awesome fucking movie. Bye, guys. Mm how uh
2: how excited are you to see Corey in real life again oh uh, my god I mean I just the, saw him a
1: couple of weeks ago
2: I know uh, but I'm saying but again
1: it's gonna be phenomenal yeah it's gonna be phenomenal like it's be I, great. and the families come in like oh man we got this this meetup is really turning into something
2: I it better turn into something uh I was, <laughs> I will tell you that it is becoming quite a production on the back end. Um, so we'll see. We will see. It's going to turn into something. I believe it.
1: Stay tuned. All right, Jason, what do you have to plug, bud?
2: Uh, I'm excited for folks to join our Discord and see my uh, growing family of AI bots <laughs> that you can interact with and play with. Um, I'm pretty excited about this one This that is about to go live just after we get off this where um, you give it uh a line like you give it like sort of a, a, a you know you say something to it and it generates an artificial quote like epigram style from dune um that is thematically <laughs> similar to what you to what you said um so uh, yeah I'm excited for people to, for people to see it it's a lot more tractable than the um uh than the D d bot at this time so amazing this, this one feels real
1: I'm gonna plug burritos
2: <laughs> burritos oh, so, help I don't know if I've ever had this little chihuahua burrito that you speak of. No, I don't think I've ever had it. All right,
1: let's fix that. Let's meet up in real life, Jason, and have a burrito. All
2: right, we'll meet up in real life and have a burrito.
1: And that's it for this episode. I'm going to thank Jason and Hoon for an incredible conversation. Next week, the triumphant return of the co-host and producer of the Letterboxd and 70mm podcast, Slim. We cover one of my favorite 70s sci-fi movies, the brutal gladiatorial classic starring James Caan, Rollerball. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a Take Deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. See everybody next week.